This is the Joy of Geek. Welcome to the Joy of Geek podcast. I am Rich Lapore. Kevin Schaefer. And today we have a very special guest. We do. Uh, you've probably heard me talk about him many times before, but my friend Jacob Deal is here. Um, we go several years back in college. Oh, and, several. And, and huge nerd, friend of the show. Um, and we are bringing him on today for a special occasion. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But Jacob, say hey. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, and the reason we're bringing Jacob on today is because, I mean, it. He me is a veritable. Me and Star Wars is Jacob and Harry Potter. Yeah. And that said, today we are talking... And you possibly outrank many of my Harry Potter nerd friends, which is saying something, because I went to a high school where, like, everyone was obsessed with Harry Potter. But, like, this guy is a Pottermore encyclopedia. So, as such, we are discussing Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald today. Um, Excellent. And that'll be the main point of discussion. So So it'll be a review and a spoiler cast. So keep that in mind. We're going to go hardcore on full spoilers. Not to mention, by the end, we'll be talking about theories on Credence. Sure. um, And uh, interesting things like that. Sure. Um, So so buyer beware on the last segment, although it will be very interesting. um, I can almost promise. Right. And I mean, the movie's been out for a few weeks now because we we haven't been able to record in a couple weeks with Thanksgiving and all that. Um, but we're so back. I, w- I would imagine anyone who's tuned into this has seen it. But if you haven't, for whatever reason, yes, I would recommend you know just listening to the first half of the show today. Coming back later if once you've seen it. But, awesome. Uh, uh, what we always do on the podcast is we start off talking about geek culture news. There's one huge thing that we absolutely have to talk about, of course, um, and then a couple other stories. Then we'll talk about what we've been watching, reading. And then in this case, a little bit of playing, because Jacob is also a gamer, um, and we don't often have another gamer on the podcast to talk with, so this will be really fun. We're going to talk about a couple games we've been playing a lot, um, as well as, again, the stuff we've been watching and reading. Um, and then from there, it's on to Fantastic Beasts. It is. So we will have a packed episode today, so strap in. Let's All do right. it. All right, let's do it. So... Um, first subject, pour one out. Yeah. Sad, but 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 inevitable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have not recorded um, since before the passing of the great Stan Lee. Um, and it was one of those, like, we knew it was going to happen in our lifetime. The man was 95. And, it, I mean, it was inevitable. But still, I just, it's almost, like, I'm going to remember forever where I was when I got that text from a friend. <laughs> and, uh, like, because I, cause I came, hey, I, I came up from PT and I got the text and I was like, no. The, the thing about him yeah. is that although he's 95, yeah. he looks like an older man. That's really, clear. Yeah, but he yeah. doesn't look like a 95-year-old no, man. He, yeah. and, he, and, and the movies do a really good job. The, all of his cameos are a big thing that's like really launched him to like massive, massive like, you know, renowned. Right, yeah. right. And so, you know, and in those movies, he doesn't look decrepit. He looks vibrant and he's driving a bus or yeah. he's like swinging his you know whatever he's, he's just doing that sounded bad he's doing really interesting <laughs> stuff and 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 looks like he's having a blast he's like hello i'm st-, you know it's just really like fun cameos right and so right. it just didn't seem like he was he seemed in really good health in those yeah again yeah. it was 30 seconds mm-hmm, you know so okay. that's not exactly indicative 
Um, another thing, too, is we kind of knew he'd been having some real issues lately. Yeah. Um, there was an elder abuse scandal that went on. Um, at one point, Kevin Smith was like, Stan Lee, come, come live with me. House. Right, yeah. right, which was, which was awesome to hear. Um, and also his wife passed away last year. Um, and yeah. the way he always talked about her, like he compared it to Peter and Mary Jane. And it was just, I mean, there are many great storytellers, icons who have inspired me and countless other geeks uh, over the years. But what Stan Lee did for pop culture can't really be, you know, put into words because he went above and beyond just, you know, co-creating these characters. And we can debate all day about, you know, how much he actually did toward the creation of these right. characters. And, and there's conversations and, like that everywhere. People sure, are doing sure. postmortems. They're talking about him and Jack Kirby. Batman, how much credit did Stan Lee take care of? All of that stuff is is absolutely a factor. Right. Um, but that's a different discussion. This discussion is Stan Lee, you know, Jeez. with with partners revitalized Marvel when it was dying mm-hmm. um, and is, you know... Revitalized comics it, as a whole. In yeah. that way, is single-handedly responsible for, you know, everything that we watch and enjoy today in the comics world, potentially. It's possible another savior would have risen, you know, but... Well, the thing he did that other creators weren't doing that... Like, I will say that, I mean, I would say Kirby, Ditko, brought more from a storytelling angle, I would say, but Lee took the culture and made it accessible to mainstream audiences. And he was the one to be more of a showman. Take He saw the potential in these characters as, like, beyond just a select group of counterculture my, people and wanted to make it accessible mainstream. for TV my, movies. My, my understanding, and, too, yeah. is that he did he did the decision to, like, have it set in the real world. They're in so the have real it world, be New York, then, not yes. Gotham, right? Right, right, right. And, and in, the, in that way, grounded it. You know, everybody always right. has said, you know, since I've been reading comics, Marvel is the more, like, streetwise. Grounded, and then DC is the more demigod, mythological um, cosmic, uh, cosmic yeah, stories. yeah. Um, so he he's very very much responsible for that. Also to bring on to, to piggyback on your point about him, you know, the brand and bringing it mainstream. Yeah. He also in very unique ways made himself and the other creators stars of the of it. So he's almost in a way what launched the idea of like it, it's still not fully a thing, but an auteur comic writer. No, right? it, 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 you know it, this yeah, idea yeah, yeah. of you know like Alan Moore is is like you know Alan Moore right. and he's an auteur. Um, you know Stanley used to give nicknames to him and 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 you know Kirby and and they all had names in there and so comic readers would know the characters and then they'd also know the creators and, and so that was something from, that he did right. And from the time he was working in comics to the time of his death he always made himself accessible. So, like, mm-hmm. from the... But even before he was as big a public figure, he would... The, you know, one of the biggest thing contributions he did in the comics was Stan's Soapbox, which is this little periodical he would do at the end of issues, and he would write blurbs about social issues, about... And he would want readers to write into him because he really wanted to interact with his audience. And he continued to do that up until, you know, his death because, I mean, cameoing in the Marvel movies... Uh, always appearing at conventions, all these things. You know, I mean, he just like wanted. He was at a convention but, yeah. we were at yeah. a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, um, doing doing, yeah. and you know, it always miffed me a little bit. And, and and hear me out on where I'm going with this. It miffed me a little bit because like if you want a picture with Stan Lee, like it's like two hundred dollars yeah, or yeah. more, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, always bothered me a bit. And also, and I'll tell you why it bothered me is because I go to like creators and they'd be like, man, it sucks that Stan Lee's here because nobody has any money because yeah. they spent it on Stan Lee. Right. And right. so, which is something I never would have guessed until somebody told me that. Sure. Flip side of that is, 
as it's come out, it probably wasn't Stan Lee that was making those decisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, he was being led by some people that he trusted that were making those decisions for him and taking a lot of that money. Um, so now I have a completely different perspective right. on that. Um, but that said, it's awesome that he made himself available sure. to people, like you said. And I, and I love that a lot of people just a couple years ago, maybe even last year, were meeting him and having this experience they'll never forget. I also have to give a shout-out to him for, uh, which we'll talk about in Comic-Con in a minute, but my friends from the organization Magic Wheelchair were at NC Comic Con this year. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Magic Wheelchair is this really awesome nonprofit where they make customized costumes for kids in wheelchairs. And, and like, I'm, no joke, no, ridiculous. Like, yes, like the kid has a Batmobile. They've done the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. They've done Predator. Like, I mean, they're insane, off the wall, super cool. He was a huge supporter of that organization and, like, met with them, met the kids, got pictures with them. I mean, that's just, I mean, he, 95, he was still doing that. By all accounts, you can say what you will about certain aspects of sure. his history and things that he's done. No he is a... Perfect. Right, nobody's yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, by all accounts, he has spent a large portion of his life doing good and bringing joy to the world. Right. Um, and he should be celebrated for that above and beyond everything else, aside from the creations. Right, Goodness. right. We're talking about the man, but what he's built with, with help and without... Remarkable. There's actually a really good thread on Twitter I would recommend by um, Hector Navarro, who's one of the hosts of DC Daily um, on that DC Universe app. He did a thread listing every character Stanley either co-created or had a hand in creating. And all it was crazy. But, that's yeah. that's that's cool. Awesome. Up, do you have a favorite uh, Stanley cameo? You and I go to the Marvel movies all the time. Uh, I still like the one from Guardians too. That's a good one. The uh, Watcher. The Watchers, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I still die because they abandoned him there. They just leave him there at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That's true. I, the one that's for some reason stuck in my head. Which is the one where he's a bus driver? That was in um, was it Spider Man? Infinity War. No, Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's why yes. it's in my head. It's really yep, recent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, there's 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 all there's so many and um, he's man, what a yeah. cool guy. Well, anyway, um, rest in peace, Stanley. Um, you, Your legacy will forever be remembered. I would have to say this, like aside from the fact that he lived about as long as people live, even at the best case, he also has a legacy left behind. What could you ever want more on your dying day than to say like every people will speak my name forever? You know? change people's lives. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's 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 pretty awesome. Okay, um, so from that note, let's move on to some other news. Oh, I was um, gonna you oh, yeah. uh, just talk a little bit about our adventures and yeah, we can talk a little bit yeah, about that. Um, so yeah, why don't you start? Yeah. Uh, so you know, NC Comic Con is our home show. We go every year. It's now two shows a year. So we went to Oak City, and then um, we just went about two weeks ago, um, and we had a great time. You'll see hear more about it on the show in a little bit because we were able to do two panels there. Um, I also did a disability one, which went really well. Um, you had a really good turnout. Yeah, it was great. I was really pleased to see that. Um, and then Rich and I did, um, we did our usual podcasting panel with the guys from Name Redacted. Chris was the only one who could make it to that one this year, but we still had a great time and we had a lot of people. Packed were, house. It was packed house and it was, people were really interested in like, because they were, there was a lot of um, people who had just got into podcasting, others who were um, wanting to create their own really important. intelligent yes. questions yes. Uh, really like down to earth like here's what I want to do how can I do it yeah um, we, we did some shop you know some um, uh, workshopping of, right. of ideas so that was really cool and then uh, sort of the coup de gras from a from a uh, in the greater scheme of things was our interview with we got to interview Jeff Parker and Doc Shaner and I infamously I it was late afternoon on Friday 
I started the pan, and I just met Jeff Lemire about 20 minutes And we're before. losing your mind. I got to admit, you don't fanboy very much right. anymore, but Jeff Lemire... Well, and it was like, it was a combination, because I introduced, I introduced Doc first, and I said, he, um, Doc recently worked on the book The Terrifics with Jeff Lemire, uh, and, and because Lemire wrote that one. And then um, I like the next to, sentence I said, was I about Jeff Parker, and I said, and the writer of Batman sixty six and Meteor Man, Jeff Lemire, and so yeah. I, yeah. But hey, it made for a really fun laugh. They were great guys because like they both laughed about it, and I, I tweeted uh, later. I was like, great panel today with these guys. Also, huge shout out to Jeff Parker for. Yeah, like um, laughing with me when I had mistaken, I had a brain fart and called him Jeff Lemire. And he's like, "Hey, I mean, there's worse people that can be compared and mixed up with." So, That's true. But they were great though. We talked about their book Future Quest together. Just two legendary creators. I they mean, really are. Um, they, they, what they've done is remarkable. But what also was remarkable to me, and I said it on the panel, and I think it's really true. I've we've done a lot of these now, and I I don't think I've ever seen people. That, there's all kinds of different ways that people are awesome on sure. panels. But I don't think I've ever seen people like even years after the book came out initially yeah. so geeking out about their own work. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like they were really into that stuff. He was like every page they had a big like PowerPoint, and every page Jeff Parker would get to, he'd be like, "Oh man, remember this?" And "Oh look, Doc, remember when you right. when you when you did this picture?" And "Oh man, see what you did there?" Oh okay, and like even making new realizations about the origins of the art, and just like really into it. If you want to talk about guys that are like comic book creators comic book creators yeah. like they love the craft they love the craftsmen around them they just they 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 love it right um and i really got that vibe from them um unfortunately it was a friday panel um so wasn't right yeah it was and so, so, like, so the turnout wasn't what wasn't they great. deserved because right. these guys are legends yeah um but um but, but the show did. they put on was amazing and luckily we have it recorded for yeah. posterity so once i finish editing it um, it will be hopefully, depending on how it turns out, available for you to listen to, um, and uh, it's really cool. That's a really good again, like we love inside baseball. Oh yeah, it was great. And about how comics are made, the origins to, of they talked about the origins of the Hanna Barbera books, and they talked about Darwin about. Cook's involvement in the creation of this one. It was just a fantastic discussion all around, in spite of my brain fart at the beginning. So uh, <laughs> Man, but yeah, it made you were gonna fun. if even though the whole world would have forgotten about ten seconds, you're making damn sure nobody ever forgets that you made that mistake. Man. Well it's gotta be recorded, so I mean Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's true. But it's it was true. a great show. We of course had a ton of fun catching up with old friends and um but yeah, hopefully both those panels will be up soon. Um but yeah, so that's NC Comic Con. Excellent. And we're always there at those shows, so come see us. Come meet us. Yep. Cool. Uh, bring it to the news. Okay, we've got a couple news stories today because I want to leave plenty of time to discuss, you know, what we've been watching, and also the Fantastic Beast discussion is going to be very in depth today. But um, but I do have quick two, two quick news stories, Jacob. This one you might be interested in because um, you're a huge Game of Thrones fan. But um, Pedro Pascal, who played Oberyn in season four has been cast as the lead in the upcoming Star Wars live-action series, The Mandalorian, which is being headed up by John Favreau. We've talked about it before on the show. Um, so he's going to be the main bounty hunter, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So Oberyn, Oberyn is, in, in Game of Thrones, he is a character that a lot of people really love and i've actually mm -hmm. i stopped right at the beginning of season four i've seen that first episode though so i know like kind of what his vibe is and and it's awesome although i hear that his character arc is awesome and although um anyway i won't go into any more about what his future is on that show or not future but the point is that he's a beloved character and he really brought a lot to that role right yeah i mean he definitely i would describe him more as like a crass overconfident type character right yeah 
So it's going to be interesting to see how he transitions into the role of. Uh, I assume he's playing. It's like, well, there. So it's it's not like a, a specific man. character, right? Okay, he's like just in it. It's yeah. not like no, Boba. no, no. He's, no, he's the he's star. Elite. He's the lead, but he's right, but yeah. see, it's not Boba Fett. It's okay. it's it's another it's, bounty hunter like Boba Fett. Oh, yeah. well, then that oh, should that be really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he can be cocky. He can be all of yeah. those things. Sure. Um, but at the same time, it it it. it makes it unlimited what they can do yeah. as opposed to being like oh well or like we'll talk about with Fantastic Beasts fans love to say well remember what blah 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 on page blah 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 you right. said this and that implies this and you know now that's all out the window and they can just make their own story about bounty hunters exactly it's a fresh series set in the I think it's between um, Force Awakens no between Return of the Dead and Force Awakens but still it's like I mean it's it's own thing they can they have unlimited potential to create a new character they don't have to worry about, you know, oh, someone else is playing Boba Fett or what else, or whatever. So, it'd be really cool. Um, do we have any other Star Wars news to talk about, or can I tell my Oscar thing now? Is this a good time? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. so I watched, speaking of Star Wars, that was a rusty segue, but no, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Um, Oscar Isaac uh, famously has made the role of Poe Dameron like a legendary role. Sure. But... I watched this awesome video, and Vanity Fair does these really great videos now, and there's tons of them, where basically like this, an amazing actor sits down and breaks down their iconic roles. And it is like, I mean, you gotta watch these, they're amazing. Um, there was one with, um, oh my god, now I'm blanking on the guy's name, this is, this is what we always do, the dude who plays Krennic, um, uh, ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn, yeah, right. He yeah. broke down all of his roles. He talked about Animal Kingdom being the role that broke him out. Then he talked about everything from Ready Player One to Blood Bloodline on Netflix and just all these roles and, yeah. and really in depth about how about how like you get cast and and how it is to be with work with different directors and how many takes they do and sure. you know all that kind of stuff. So anyway, Oscar Isaac comes on and he told the story of how he was cast in Force Awakens and. It blew my mind on a couple levels. So, apparently what happened was he was finishing up some movie that he... Oh, I think it was Ex Machina at that point. And they'd seen him in something else or, or whatever the situation was. They'd seen him in some movie. They called him Inside out. Inside Lohan Davis was around that time. That might have been the one yeah, that they yeah. saw him in. I think it was that. Because Ex Machina was the same year as Force Awakens. Yeah, but it was... Say. Yeah, okay. Yeah, anyway, so um, they, they saw him in something and they yeah, liked yeah. his look. Good good point. So I always forget I got the movie chronology over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, he, um, he goes to this meeting with them at a hotel. And it's Kathleen Kennedy, um, Oscar Isaac, and director... Abrams. Right, director, yeah, yeah. director Abrams. And um, they basically said, okay, so here's what your character's going to be. His name is Poe Dameron. He's in the crawl. This is how we're going to introduce the whole story with this big explosive scene. This guy makes his escape, and then he dies in that first in the first big scene. Really? Like, he's yeah. going to die there. And Oscar was like, oh, hmm. That sucks. He was like, hmm. You know, because it's Star Wars, so you don't say no. Um, but at the same time, he, he said to them, and he had the boldness, because you know what Oscar Isaac's like. He says what he wants. Yeah. He had the boldness to say to them, he said, you know what? I really appreciate that. Let me think about it a little bit only because um, I have done so many movies where I have been like the guy that dies in the first scene to set up the action. Yeah. And then Kathleen said, oh, yeah, you did that for us in uh, Matt Damon, um, the Bourne movie. Um, oh, he right. was born and he set it he oh, set up he yeah. set it up by dying at the beginning and there was apparently one other that he'd done that so he's like I just okay. don't want to be always necessarily that guy who just dies to set up the action he says but but let me think about it so he goes home to think about it and then of course comes the realization this is Star Wars I got to do it right and then he calls them to say hey um I'm in I'll do it and they said well actually no 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 we've rewritten the whole thing 
Now you're in the whole movie. <laughs> That's awesome. Right? So just think about the, the reason it blows my mind is just him having the audacity or the pushback or the 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 chutzpah yeah. to say, uh, I don't want to die right away, right? And just to make them think and let the wheels turn on what the, what his role could be instead, right. changed the course of Star Wars history, completely changed the trajectory of Oscar Isaac's career. Yeah, I mean, and so just to think a small comment made at a very, you know, granted a very important meeting, but it's just so much can happen with you just standing up for yourself a little bit. Sure. And I just thought it was so fascinating that everything we know about Poe Dameron could have gone to nothing. Sure. You know? Sure. Anyway, that was my little tidbit. Well, and that goes back to, like, all of Star Wars history, really, because um, George Harrison. Lucas is for Harrison Ford, but uh, George Lucas's first wife was really instrumental in direct... Because in, George Lucas was never... I'm reading an autobiography... I mean, not an autobiography, but a biography about George Lucas, and... He was never one that like wanted to be a writer in the first place and needed constant help and uh, rewrites and everything. But um, his first wife was instrumental in helping him develop the pivotal plot points of New Hope. So, I mean, Obi-Wan's death, the Death Star, all of these things that would have changed the series forever if it had been... And are the most iconic things, right? Right, right. She was one of the voices to, you know, tell him to do that. So... Even though, like, you see the credits get up, you know, of, like, who wrote this and read, it really is a huge collaborative process. I mean, so actor and writer-director, you know, I mean, editor in that case. I mean, uh, there's multiple voices that go into creating a franchise and making it what it is. So Absolutely. Yeah, it's, and that's, it, you know, it really is amazing and remarkable when a movie is a success. Yeah. Because there's so many moving pieces and so many things yeah. have to go right for it to go well. Right. And so I just, this is just one little story in a web of stories yeah. that created Star Wars The Force Awakens and, and in turn this whole... The new trilogy. New, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So cool. anyway, I thought that was... That's a that really cool story. What's, yeah, your, okay. what's your Star Wars background? Are you a big Star Wars person or not so much, Jacob? Uh, I'm more on the Star Trek side. Okay. Uh, you I, seen I enjoy Star Wars, don't get me wrong i've uh-huh. seen all the movies multiple times i love them but um i'm more on the hard science fiction side of things rather than space opera. did you yeah. um did you mm-hmm. see discovery i said i did see discovery so so without spoilers of course because i hear there's tons <laughs> mm-hmm. um people tell me i have i have cbs all access literally just to watch it and i've barely just scratched the surface people tell me that if you like twists and if, if you ever listen to our show i'm a twist nut if you like twists and surprises, there's no better show. Yeah, it does a really good job of that. And I guess bounding off of that, I would say Discovery is actually the most Star Trek, Star Trek thing since the next generation. Even yeah. though it's serialized. Even though it's serialized, and I think people are probably going to hate There are going to be Star Trek fans out there that disagree with me, but it has a much better pacing than Deep Space Nine. It's much better than Enterprise. And Do you like Voyager? Uh, I liked Voyager, and I guess I forgot. Yeah, I would say it's, uh, let me wrap on par with that. Okay, it's yeah, on yeah. par with Voyager. Okay, fine. okay, interesting. Because I did, I've seen it some balances of episodic with serial in a very nice manner. Yeah, where everything is connected, but it doesn't feel like the crazy story arcs we got with Enterprise or. Uh, interesting. I digress there. No, no, that's a no, 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 no. That that is a good point. Well, because um, I remember when we were first talking before it came out. They advertised it like it was going to be totally serialized, like the Netflix shows, not kind of thing. It is. So what he's saying, uh, it's like a good mix. It, it's 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 a good mix. Oh, like, okay. Distinct things cool. happen in each yeah. episode that contribute to the plot, but not in a direct. Way. Oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. It's, yeah, it's you're you're absolutely right. That building. is what we right, were right, right. meant to believe yeah. is it's, that it's it was a more like... natural plot, 
right? Things in the real world happen and they're all connected, but they're not just every... It's not like a giant movie. Right, I'll say it like right, that. right, right. Yeah. Which, like, if you watch, I'll give you a great example, which is something I love, The Killing on Netflix now, and it was originally on AMC. That's a show that literally you have a season of 10 episodes and each episode... So there's a killer... And there's a death. The death is in episode one. The killer is in episode 10. In this case, 20. But regardless, there's a killer at the end. Each episode, basically, all it's about is trying to find that killer. And so the only thing that's episodic about it is, on this episode, ooh, we think it's the teacher. He did it. And then it's like, oh, no, there's a piece of evidence. He didn't do it. Yeah. And then yeah. they move to the next episode. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, it's actually the rabbi. I know you wouldn't expect it. I know it's unlikely, but he did it. And then it's like, nope, actually, we found this piece of evidence behind the pew. He didn't do it. Yeah. You know, and so, like, everything in that series exists. It's like Clue the TV show. Absolutely, which I love, but everything <laughs> exists for one purpose, and that is yeah. to misdirect you towards the finale. Yeah. yeah. So this one, you're saying there are episodes that you probably wouldn't want to watch it out of order, but you could enjoy a single episode or not at all. You could enjoy a single episode. You could jump in. And I would say it's kind of like the old Doctor Who in that in that manner. Excellent. Um, back in the days of Tenet and and such where yeah. it's you can jump in watch an episode fall in love with the show fall in love with the characters but you're not i mean you'll be missing on things but you can go back and fill yourself in later it's not or or everybody can tell you oh dude if you want to get into doctor who watch blink and it and you yeah. watch it and it's nothing like any other episode yeah. <laughs> it's not kidding. like if you were to jump into stranger things on the season finale. that's uh, yeah 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 and to me that's what makes a great star trek show is it, it you can just jump in anywhere i agree with that yeah Interesting. Well, I need to watch it. I, and are the twists really memorable and surprising when they come? There, yeah, there are a few. Okay. Yeah. See, that's funny. I Here's what... I, this one guy told me this, and then everybody I tell it to has your response. He's like, yeah, they're, they're there. They're there. You know, it's not like... So it's weird. I'm getting conflicting messages. I think it depends on how much you watch movies and TV in general. Oh. Right? Because you start to be able to anticipate okay. things. It's what What's that wall, Kevin? It's like the gun on the wall. If you show a gun on the wall, it better get used later. You In like a MacGuffin? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where yeah, it's yeah. like if it's shown in one scene, it yeah. better get used at some yeah, point. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, that's kind of a necessary trope. Otherwise, you could claim it's ex machina. Right, right. right. But, Just came out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Right. So, exactly. No, that's a really good point. And like you see a hat that a guy puts on in episode one of Westworld, and it's a yeah. black hat, probably has oh, some significance, right? He's a big Westworld. Yeah. Fan. So yeah. once you start but. to pick up on those things as a, you know, as a watcher, a consumer. So, so you were. So let me ask you, flip it around. Were there any moments in Star Trek Discovery's first season where you, as a very big critical watcher of television, were surprised? Yes, by? absolutely. Okay. So that's what I think is shocking because mm -hmm. I'm very rarely surprised. That's why I. I, I commoditize and and I'm so uh, you know yeah. twists are so beloved to me because no, when I yeah. get genuinely surprised I'm like oh my god you did it thank God it's almost like I don't even want to use the, the drug analogy but you know like drug people are like oh man I just got to get a hit oh, <laughs> it's not working I'm not high I'm oh finally I'm you know what I mean it's a t it's a gross analogy you see it in movies and TV shows well I won't go into the details of exactly how the twist happens then because otherwise you'd pick up on it right away. but, but it is so so it's so it's it, you everything could pick is up. there awesome but. It's it's in such a way that you would never think to piece it together that way. So it's really well done. That's, That's cool. awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. Are That's they great. in season two now? or? I think they're producing. Okay. God, that show runs slow. Yeah. It's like the I, American it, Gods. It had a really <laughs> high production value. Everything though, Brian Fuller touches. Is it yeah. Brian Fuller? Is that his name? Yeah. Everything he, he touches. He started out. He didn't stay yeah. on it because, like, it, but he right. did. But that's his started. show, right? He got it started. Yeah, and he's yeah, still, like, yeah. the creator. Or right. Creative so, consultant, probably. Right, right. Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah. like, sh like, like, 
series creator, I think yeah, it says, yeah, 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 and because yeah, he no, came he up with it. The, the yeah. digital effects, I think, are what's slowing them down. It's uh, it's very, very CG heavy, yeah, and that's yeah. hard for a TV show to handle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That I mean, scene, it looked like the effects of like the Abrams movies, yeah. but on TV. That scene in the beginning of the first episode, where, or not the beginning, but the second big scene where she's going through that asteroid field in that thing, the special effects are pretty solid. Yeah, they really are, uh, and it's it's hard to capture space right, uh, yeah. especially since it's it's big and it's quiet. How right. do you make it exciting? Right. And I think they they met a good balance of the two there. That's a really good point. You know, I don't often think about that, but video games are a great example. A lot of times they choose their settings such that there's a lot of interesting stuff to go on in the background. Mm-hmm. You take space. Like you, 2001 you know, a Space Odyssey. It doesn't matter how far your draw distance <laughs> goes out in a video game yeah. because there's nothing there, you know? So it, I guess there's pros and cons to that, but that's interesting for sure. Very cool. Mm. Next up. Cool. Uh, just a short news story here that will lead into a lot of what I've been watching and reading. All right. About 90% DC stuff because um, of the DC app. But um, so the Swamp Thing series is coming up in, I think, around the spring of 2019. Because it's going to be um, Titans wrapping up, and then we got Doom Patrol, um, Young Justice Season 3, and then Swamp Thing. Um, but they've got pretty much the full cast now. I just wanted to touch on the two main leads, so the one playing Alec Holland and the one playing Swamp Thing. So Andy Bean is playing Dr. Alec Holland. Um, People will know him from a show that's hugely popular, just not really in our circle. Um, at Where I work, right. everybody's obsessed with power. Okay. Everyone's like, oh my god, power is the best show on television. Okay, interesting. I mean, I, I've heard of it. I've, I've seen the first watched. two episodes. I don't know this guy in particular. I think maybe he works at the FBI with the girl, maybe. Okay. I, I yeah, don't yeah. know. But regardless, he's a big deal for certain people. Sure. And he's a great actor, right? And, and he's also going to be Stanley, adult Stanley in It Chapter 2, which will definitely be all over. So, um, Stanley. Yeah. Okay. I, I, said thought, Stan I thought you said Stan Lee, and I was like, wait a minute. No, I said Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. but I, yeah, I got yeah, Stan yeah. Lee yeah, on yeah, the brain. I yeah. just did a big discussion. So, yeah. um, so he will be Alec Holland. Um, but yeah, I looked him up. He really looks the part. I think they'll be great for that. Um, but probably even more exciting is the one who's going to be you know, portraying Swamp Thing is Derek Mears, who has a lot of experience playing um, character roles and big creatures. He was Jason in the 2009 Friday the 13th, um, Predator in 2010's Predators, um, and he's worked on Sleepy Hollow, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., True Blood, Grimm and Teen Wolf, so has a lot of experience in these kind of roles. Um, and I'm just really excited that they went with, you know, an actor to do the, and they'll probably, I imagine it'll be a mix of, like, costume and CG, uh, but I'm glad they're not doing, like, full CG, you know? Like, I, I like to see that they're having a character actor in the costume, mm-hmm. and then they'll modify it with CG to make it look cooler. That um, sounds good. I mean, so you know, I, Titans yeah. has been a mixed bag on special effects. I don't really find it jarring or anything. I know some sure. people do. Um, but, you know, I, I Swamp Thing, they better get it right. Oh, know? I think they will. And, I mean, they um, James Wan is, I think, directing the pilot or has some involvement in it. Um, uh, at least he's an executive producer. Um, and, I mean, you know, they, it's one they've been working on for a while and been promoting. So I'm really excited about it. Um, and, I mean, um, Titans is still going strong, which... Um, do you want me to go ahead and jump in on that? Yeah, why don't you jump in on Titans? Because okay. so I, I I stalled a little bit on this, and it what happened was I'm on I saw the Doom Patrol episode with right, you that right, day, right. and then I start I false started like four times the next episode, the Together episode, and for some reason like that little spark in me is just not there right now. Okay, and I I know it'll come back once I watch more, but right now I'm just like oh I'd rather do something else. Oh, so I, maybe not. From your perspective, just because I know you, 
I together it may not be your favorite episode. It's just it's very action packed. I mean, it's cool. It's you get to see the team yeah. come together and all that. But that it's mostly it. just fight scenes and stuff. Um, not to say that there's a story in that episode, but it's predominantly big action sequences where they come together and have to fight the um, what is it? This robotic family, the AI family. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's got some really good action, but um, but I think the episode you'll really like is right after uh, that, which I, Jason Todd has uh, arrived, um, and I'm the way it. they bring him in is so perfect because I was curious how they because it's funny because so when back when we watched the trailer, which I mean we won't harp on this, the trailer was terrible, but and you know and the show defied all expectations. But the thing about the trailer, I remembered when we thought that Robin was going to be this super angsty, I was worried that it was like. There, he's Dick, but he's gonna, but he sounds exactly like Jason. That was my initial impression, and thankfully the show, you know, uh, I mean that was a very misleading. In the they, 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 they curved left on yes, that one. Yes, very yeah. much so. But that said, the actor they picked to play Jason and the way they bring him in, it's probably the most like comic accurate so far. I mean, oh, I'm into do, it. I mean, because like they, it. they have all of his origin, the ties in Berkeley, and also in that episode they dive more into Dick's origin um, and time together awesome. really well. So I was so good. bummed that he sold the Porsche. I was right. so pissed. <laughs> he sold the Porsche. It was iconic. It was. Yeah. It was the was car one. he stole to go on a joyride with. Yeah. I get it that it's like a character moment of him like realizing that this family is more important. It's kind of like when a dad gives up his sports car well, the and, thing is, and gets the minivan, right? Right. That and also each episode he's getting closer and closer to becoming Nightwing. Um, and so that's what they're doing kind of like at the end. There's another thing that happens in this week's episode oh. where it goes in even closer toward that. So that's why they, I mean... It's really, it's fascinating to see how they're handling the arcs of each character. I think, I mean, it's clear that from the beginning, Robin and Raven are going to have the biggest arcs here. Yeah. I think we'll... This season, close, anyway. This season. And I mean... Um, Just because of the nature of the Big Bad. Right. I think we'll get a little closer to learning more about Starfire's origin by the end of the season, but predominantly, this is the Robin and Raven well, season. Plus, let's not forget, they know, maybe knew the whole time, this show's been in development forever, but... They they know they got season two in the bag. Oh yeah, oh so yeah. that's what's They're good about. Regard, no, but I mean, regardless of if this the episode this season even does well, it was greenlit a while ago, sure, right? Right. And so that gives you a different perspective on writing your season. I don't know when the writing was all. You know what I mean? No, like, I, I know. What you you mean, make yeah, decisions yeah. based on am I going to have time to go into Starfire's origin? Yes. Or we better not use all of our material on season one because season two is coming and we got we need some characters to reveal because otherwise there'll be no you know surprises right 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 so it's it's I a will tricky say, balance not like super spoiler you may not enjoy this week's episode as much just because like they do the um it's more they're in containment and they have to there's this is the seventh now yeah so wait so there was together then together, another one then, then, this, this, week's. then this week's yeah. oh wow what's yeah. this week's called Asylum. So, like, you may, yeah. So, you're not going to enjoy it as much, but, like, you're not going to enjoy it as much, but, like, but it's necessary to the story, and it's not like it's going to be a prolonged story arc or anything. Like we've talked about since we discussed Titans, like, the way they structured it, each episode, that's why I like most about the show, I don't know what I'm going to get each episode. They're very different. Like, they, and it, and it's all telling one cohesive story really well, but, I mean, there's going to be different moods and different plot lines in each episode, which is cool, because I don't know, I mean, there was, like, yeah, you had the team up episode, team up episode, then the Jason Todd one, um, and now Asylum, and so like, and then I, I, I kind of want to, uh, okay, I'll go ahead and say it. Next week, Donna Troy is coming in, which I like awesome. was a total like surprise for me. So like, they don't like they just tease her in the promo. She doesn't come into this episode, but you know, for those of you who don't know, Donna Troy is Wonder Girl. 
Um, and that just excites me like off the wall. Beautiful. So, yeah. Cool. Um, what other DC stuff you got for us? Um, I'll run through them kind of quick. Just I know we want to. I want to give you guys time to talk as well. Um, rewatching, and I also I haven't seen Young Justice season two yet, so I'm going back through season one, almost done, and I'm going to watch season two in preparation of season three, of course. Um, it's just it's still a great show. It's just like uh, and and being able to enjoy it all at once now and get ready for season three it makes me all the more excited awesome um and then i'd have to really commend dc daily because like i've started watching that in the mornings when i start working and it's, it's just become a routine I, yeah and what i like about it is that and about the dc app in general is like the cast and crew there have done such a good job of cultivating a really positive environment because i get really tired of a lot of fan sites these days that are like a there's a lot of clickbait and b just the fan bases themselves tend to be really negative what I like about DC Daily is that, like, they discuss topics and news that is relevant. Yeah, but, but, yeah, again, though, I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't hold my tongue. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It, it's a PR site. I mean, it's, I it's, mean, it's, it's extent, I, there, there's news, but of course it's not negative. They're talking about their stuff, and yeah, they're but, DC. Yeah, but, I like, mean, uh, you know. I mean, I get what you're saying, but it's also doesn't, refreshing, though. doesn't like, mean that when you're watching it, you're not having an upbeat good experience. Right, right, I totally right. get that. Sure, sure, I just want to sure. say, like, there's a motivation there. Like, I mean, there's yeah. a reason why nobody who's nowhere USA on YouTube says, oh, this is why Force Awakens is the worst movie ever. Yeah, so I people know. quit. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, they don't need that. You're there already. Right, So, right, So right. I'm just saying, like, I understand no, I, the I motivations. Yeah, sure. That said, it's great that there's a destination to go to yeah. where there's happiness. Right, and it's and just like... Pro- it's, positive excitement. Positive energy, and it just, it really enthuses me to, and like, I just like to see them geek out about, you know, certain comics, TV shows, and... I mean, they and even with it, though it is more PR-ish, they still have, I think, what are you know quality discussions. And I especially like when they bring on creators, mm-hmm. cast members. Mm-hmm. Like they do interviews with the Titans cast, they do interviews with the Arrowverse cast members, comic creators, etc. Um, but it just makes me more excited to you know create and geek out about stuff. So yeah. I just really like it's refreshing. And it, it, it inspires you yeah, as a exactly. creator. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So watching that um, comic side of things. Still enjoying the Joshua Williamson Flash run, which I've talked about plenty of times before. Um, and I'm on... I just finished volume six, so... Um, but, yeah, he's well past 50 issues now. And I hope he goes, you know, as long as, like, Tom King goes on Batman. It's And there's no signs of him leaving the book anytime. He still loves writing the character and is doing a great job. And I like especially how... Because in the first arc he did, he introduced a lot of new characters and new storylines he's starting to bring those characters back in um, these late, newer volumes, which is really cool to see and is doing a great job with it. Um, so that's just a great, really fun book. A lot of um, Howard Porter is, I mean, is my favorite artist he works with, but he works with a lot of other great ones as well. Um, and then on the Green Lantern side of things, um, I'm just started um, Green Lanterns, which is um, which is like the titular, titular book that they started with Rebirth. Um, written by Sam Humphreys and with various artists. And what it is is uh, instead of... Uh, Hal Jordan has his other book, but um, it, this is about uh, rookie officers in the Green Lantern Corps, Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz, both of whom were created in the New 52. And it's about them, um, you know, as the rookie cops protecting Earth while Hal Jordan is off in space. Um, and it's really cool how it examines their stories. You know, I mean, Simon Baz is a Muslim, Jessica Cruz has anxiety, and it explores Boy, it both like of those fun. things. Yeah, 
Well, I'm joking. But, no, I, I know. Yeah. yeah, but like, but it it takes two minority characters right. and do, writes them really well. That's good. And and has them and what I, I mean, especially with Jessica, it's like usually the characters with any kind of mental disability are you viewed as the victims, and here she's the hero because Sam awesome. Humphries has anxiety as well, and so he writes a lot of his own experiences and feelings into the character and she wants to let people to know that yes she has this she's always going to live with it but she can also be the hero and it's about them becoming together but it's just a really fun title um and then also grant morrison is now writing a green lantern title just called the green lantern um and it, it's about how and he's writing it with artist Lee, liam sharp it is it's almost like so jacob and i saw valerian together last year it's almost like Valerian. It's like a European space opera. It's wildly different. Of both course. In its look Grant and Morrison. It's yeah. Grant Morrison. And, it, and from the writing and the aesthetic, it's just so different from any other. How long is it going to be? Um, I mean, as Did long you know as him? It, oh, really? As, I mean, he saw, I read an interview with him. I mean, he'll, I mean, he already mapped out the first couple arcs. Um, but oh, wow. So he, it's get, an ongoing. It is. It's ongoing. not like All Star. It's Superman. not a miniseries. No. no. Oh, okay. Which is, I know. It's. I mean, it's been. He said he doesn't do that. Yeah. He doesn't do it often, and it's been a while, and while since he's done any kind. He's been in TV for a while now because um, he was writing. He's a writer on Happy, and I think he may have done some other show for Sapphire or something. Oh. But um, but yeah, this is his first big DC book he's done in a while. I mean, aside from Doom Patrol, yeah, he doesn't really do many ongoing books. Yeah. So it'll be interesting, but I really enjoyed it. the first issue just dropped two weeks ago. Um, I really enjoyed it, so I'm gonna keep going with that. Um, I'll stop talking for a minute because that's all my DC stuff. But, okay, but, cool. But yeah, but. Um, so yeah, man, you've been DC and out. Yeah, oh yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, I want to hear about Doctor Who. Okay. Um, to, on a drastic <laughs> switch. Um, Go ahead. So. This is the first female Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. It's a big freaking deal. Everybody's like, oh my God, it's a big deal. I feel like, and I haven't been on social media that much, but I feel like I haven't been, see- been seeing that much about it. So I'm a little like dark on not knowing how it's been going. So I know they have a new showrunner. It's a mm-hmm. new direction, new main Doctor, new cast members. How far in is it and how's it going? Uh, there are seven episodes in. The eighth one releases today. And well, these are day and date? Today. These are day and date like with the UK? I think they're pretty close anyway. Uh, yeah, it released... Well, I, I'm watching on Amazon Prime. I have a season pass, so I get to watch it on Monday. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, it releases every Sunday. A lot of people, I think, were hating on the idea of Jodie Whittaker as the new Doctor. Before um, even giving her a chance. To before like, even yeah, giving her I mean, a chance. And I watched Broadchurch. Um, I love Broadchurch. And she's really good in that, right? Oh, and, yeah. and I was like, she, she has a real depth to her that I think she could bring to the Doctor. And... Um, I mean, this is my opinion. There are people out there who disagree. I think she has brought an, a fresh take on the Doctor, uh, where it's been. I guess I, I would characterize him as wacky, jovial, yeah. all those things. Uh, ever since t- ever since Smith came in, right? Capaldi toned that down a little bit. He was still silly. Um, Jodie Whittaker, she's done a great job with the character. She's uh, brought it back to a place of um, exploring the doctor's growth as as a being rather than using just the standard tropes of oh i'm smarter than you and i'm just going to take you all over the place and explore things and come with me lives. trust me trust me trust me because <laughs> yeah. i'm going to be doing some good shit over here this doctor i will say is surprisingly human and that's what i love most about her she apologizes tenant did that too he would be like i'm so sorry so so sorry Whitaker actually takes it to another place of she actually respects her companions' opinions and what they want. Wow. And asks yeah. them what they think about a situation. 
And even in episode seven, she's still settling into who she is as a doctor. She'll be like really assertive at one point in the episode. And she turns around and asks her companion, she's like, was I too assertive there? Do you guys like oh, that wow. part about me? So she's actually, that reminds me of that character on The Good Life, um, The Good Place. Good Place. Um, the, no, the helper um, woman. Oh, um, On season one. Yeah, yeah, well, she's in season two, too, but, um, oh gosh, what, what, You'll look what, it up. Mike, yeah, the, 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 there's a girl um, who's like, she's a, she's Janet. a creation. Janet. Yeah. So she's a creation. Have you seen The Good Place at all? Yeah, she, she's a, so you know that her. Yeah, and she like every episode, it's like they've given her like a new like idea of how to be more human. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, like one episode, she's like making snarky comments. Next episode, she's buddy buddy with everyone. Yeah, she gets um, even more development in season two. It's really bad. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. And and so the the thing is though, this is a totally different thing because this character is you know a, a, an organic, much more mm-hmm. organic being. Um, the doctor obviously, and and is 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 you know a, a more more human like you said. Mm-hmm. But that same concept of like okay, I'm here. There's history, but I'm also, like, fresh to this. How do I do it well? Yeah. What's the way to be, like, a good person that interacts with humans but also has these otherworldly powers? Right. That exploration's got to be interesting. And then add to that the fact that she's the first female doctor defying the world's expectations of what who the doctor is, at least for people that know the doctor. Yeah, yeah. And there's, I mean, moving on beyond just who how she's fulfilling the role because I think she's doing a great job with it. The the show is also, I think, going in a direction Doctor Who hasn't been since the days of Eccleston and early Tenet, where I think everyone who's seen it with Moffat and Capaldi, not um, not Moffat, sorry, um, Smith and Capaldi, right under Moffat, started taking on these big story arcs. You know, over the episode, you know, it'd be like introduce the villain, have some episodes that aren't related, and then the last quarter of the season is devoted to resolving that character arc, right? Okay. Or that story arc. Yeah. So far, I, I they've set up what could potentially be a big villain in the first two episodes, but they haven't touched on it since, and I love that. We're back to the days of like Blink and Tenet, where it's just a one-off standalone one-off thing. Or um, my favorite, the two-parter with the the Ood and uh, the Satan planet this the, mm-hmm. around the black hole mm-hmm. right I remember that yeah where there's like these two episodes that are related to each other but very tightly but then you never really hear them again yeah they did a lot of that so I'm so for my my background on Doctor Who is I got into it because finally I was like you know what damn it everybody that likes what I like also likes Doctor Who so mm-hmm. I need to do this and I had a bunch of false starts before so I was like I'm doing it that's it started from Eccleston love Eccleston by mm-hmm. the way um, and then finish that season out and love her as well. Um, Eccleston's, uh, Rose, Rose, love Rose. And then, yeah. and then, yeah, then it, it switches, um, after that. Um, and I, and I really like how it goes after that as well. I mean, I, I so I'm on now I'm on the, um, second season of Tenant. I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Well, how does it go? It goes Eccleston. There are three seasons of Tenant. Okay. So it goes Eccleston and then Eccleston, Tenant, Tenant, Tenant. Smith. Well, it was a bunch of specials, and then Smith. Yeah. So wait, so so okay, so so Tennant does come after Eccleston. So yeah. why am I missing something? So I. I so there I, was one season with Rose, one season with uh, Martha, and then one with Donna. Okay. So those are the Tennant years. Okay, got it. So oh, okay. So so I've seen the first two Tennant years. Then if yeah. I'm on the if I'm on the Donna one, so that's yeah. the third Tennant year. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So that's where I'm at the very beginning of <clears throat> Donna, and she's like, "Oh my God, you're back for me. That's great." So I, a lot of what you're describing is all I've seen. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen any of these sweeping story arcs. You'll, you'll see it gets to a place, and they're, they're interesting with Smith the first go-round, right? Um, he was beloved. People loved him. Yeah, I loved him, and then I got a little tired of him in the second one. Um, but 
something they're also doing something very particular with Whitaker that I haven't seen before, and that's they're exploring parts of Earth history mm-hmm. in their context. There's an episode about Rosa Parks. Oh wow! I heard about that one, and yeah. it's. It actually brought me to tears at one point. I mean, it even has uh, Dr. King in there, um, big you know players and that whole thing. Uh, and then it moves on, and then there's a episode taking part in the partition of India in 1947, which was completely random. It feels kind of random, but one of the characters is Pakistani, and her grandmother in the show actually was alive during the partition of India, so they're actually kind of exploring her past there. Um, she's going back in time to meet her grandmother. So there's this whole element. I mean, if you think about it, the doctor never takes people back to meet them pat their past selves mm-hmm. or like people that they knew. But Whitaker is taking one of her companions, and she, this is the thing: she doesn't call them. Um, she hasn't called them friends yet. She always calls them companions, which is a little odd. Um, but she brings the girl back to meet her grandmother, which is a first for Doctor Who. It's like she's kind of bending the rules and it comes into the human side of her. She's not taking this high road of, I am the final law on this. And I think that's from the lessons that she's learned throughout the show is like, the Doctor should not be this law unto themselves. Or or completely infallible or, or, or right. something that people look to as never making a mistake. Because yeah. clearly there's going to be mistakes made. Yeah. Um, interesting. So it's it's an interesting direction for the show to take. Some people love it, some people hate it. How how yeah? How has the response been? I know you said, and both of you had said that you've been seeing that people didn't really give her a chance. But aside from that, the show itself, and of course, it's integral that that you know she is who she is, and it's mm-hmm. the first female doctor. I know that's probably integral to the plot. But how how is like the writing? It's Chibnall now, right? It's the guy yeah, who did Broadchurch. It is. It, it, it's it's him, and some people are. From what I've read, I'm not big on social media, but from what I've seen, there's been some controversy with them because they don't like how it's not story arc driven. There are actually people out there who miss the grand overarching story arc and uh, insist that the show is first and foremost a child show, and so every episode should be happy and jolly. I see. And this one hasn't been as dark as some of Capaldi's stuff, but it has been dark. more serious. It's been more dark. Like there are people who are straight up disintegrated in front of the camera, which is not something it's done before. Um, there, so there I are see social so- critiques of Amazon in the most recent one. Wow. Uh, as well as automation in our society and how far that could go. So it's asking these big, deep questions, but in an interesting way. But also, it sounds like in a more guttural, um, more intense way. It yeah. shows it more, more. So I say, that sounds like the distinction because they've always done that. Yeah. But it's not. But it never was like the the, the result of it was never as clear as what you're describing. Yeah. Um. Because because I, I know they always took on big issues like that. Like there was the one where they're at the end of the world, and you know, and then there's this you know this guy leading false hope about getting to utopia and all this kind of concepts yeah. about leadership and it's always been abstract a step removed yeah, yeah. and yeah. now now it's very much in your face like these are real consequences people it's life or death literally life or death wow. which i guess i can see why some viewers would react negatively to that yeah. if they're used to escape uh, like yeah. right right and it's doctor i mean it's almost like if like Star Wars did something like that, Wait, this like has been a very Earth centric. Well, they yeah. did do something Season. like that. They did that casino planet, That's, yeah, and people lost about. their fucking oh, I minds, right? I didn't. I mean, it was for me. It was like okay. Well, that wasn't the problem with that part. Yeah, that part. That part. I mean, I'm with right, you. Right. We also didn't love that but, part, but not because it was a critical social commentary. Right. Right. But, but there because were people it was who hated that uh, exactly, and we're like, oh man, a social justice in my Star Wars. Yeah. 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 You know. So, yeah. 
Whatever. The comics gay people. I'll, I'll oh god. Up. Yeah, exactly. People get people get riled, man. It's so so unnecessary. Um, so then you just have to go to DC Daily and, yeah. and get your your daily <laughs> your daily that. refresh, exactly, right? Exactly. But overall, you're enjoying it a lot. I'm enjoying it a lot. Tell me how you last thing. How do you compare it to like? And first of all, because we don't know you that well on the show, what is your doctor hierarchy, and how is this comparing? Um, Who's your favorite? Tenant was always my f- my favorite, and I know that I'm. I'm Still new to Whitaker, but she actually may take that spot by the end of wow. it if they keep it up the way she's because going. Because of the humanity in the character. She's the most deep since Tennant. I mean, Eccle- so for, historically it was Tennant, Eccleston, Capaldi, Smith. Tennant, Eccleston, Capaldi. Okay, okay. interesting. Um, Smith and, as a wow. new doctors. There, I knew you yeah, liked yeah, yeah, doctors, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we that's don't count a, That's them. a different show. <laughs> I, yeah, I knew you liked Capaldi a lot, too. Yeah, I liked Capaldi a lot, but um, yeah, Tennant first and foremost, just because he... He brought the most intensity to the character that I've seen. Yeah, he and really just unique take and mm-hmm. man, I mean, he made himself from like a you know a guy a character actor in stuff to like a superstar in that show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's got so much presence, that dude. Interesting. So Jody may step up on she that may list. Step up. She's at, de- at the very most, she's uh, or at the very least, she's now above Eccleston. So yeah, second. She she's tied with Tennant for me. Wow. How many episodes is a series? Uh, usually about twenty. Or okay. In the past, I don't know what they're doing with the new show. Okay. Yeah. Really? Actually, no, no, I'm wrong. It's some were shorter. It's yeah. It, they they change it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they have, but, um, but there were some longer ones. Yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think you're right that it's it's it, nowadays it's like 13. When it first started, there were 23. Are they still doing the Christmas specials? No, they, okay. that, that's another thing. What? They don't like with the new, um, he said oh, that. Okay. Honestly, they've just run out of material. To come up with the actual good Christmas related theme, you can see that the last couple Christmas yeah. specials have been completely off topic. It's true. The, the next time I have to see a Santa bot go go recap, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to lose my brain. Yeah, you so know? they're stopping them for now. That's and... just a bad idea. <laughs> just do what that I have to say is probably a bad idea. Take something that's beloved, make a Christmas special from a different perspective. You know, I mean, is there no way? I guess they've done Scrooge. They've probably right. They've done Santa Claus robots about five times. They've done elves. They, yeah. I mean, but like you'd think it could just be snowing, and I don't know. Well, I think about it. They were like... also short on time this year. Okay. Um, because right. Whitaker entered the scene a little later than the other doctors have in the past, and they weren't able to start filming it before. It would be ready to. Release. Oh, okay. So, so, so potentially there'll be one. But he said Christmas. that he doesn't like the idea of them anymore, just because he doesn't. He, he feels like it's, um, what's the phrase? Outdated. Uh, not outdated. I'm like overdone. Overdone. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're they're milking it for all it's worth at this point. Oh man, I see. I'm all about some traditions, though. Yeah, I mean, I hear yeah. that. But the thing when I when I look at UK television, I love some of the traditionalism of it. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like every Christmas they got a Christmas special, and you sit down with your family, and there's a warm fire, and you watch Doctor Who's Christmas special. Yeah. I've never lived in the UK, but I can imagine that was probably a nice tradition. Um, so I can see why people would take yeah. umbrage at that. Again, though, I guess just snuggle up, light the fire, and put on David Tennant's Christmas special. You yeah. Because that's what you're going to have to do, right? Yeah, sure. So anyway, all, all in all, wow, that's a glowing endorsement. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Um, let's see. What do I have to talk about? Okay. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's spin the wheel of my iPhone. All right. Um, so, okay, so I have a couple quick ones to talk about, and then I want to talk about a game with Jacob. Um, 
So there's this documentary that's on right now. This is Super Time. There's actually two documentaries that I recommend people check out that are fascinating, not because of political views or social views, but because they are just compelling narratives. The first one is called The Clinton Affair. Um, it's a huge thing right now going on. It's on A&E. And I remember, I'm going to make a bad confession here. I remember when I was younger, um, when Monica Lewinsky broke, this whole Monica Lewinsky and Clinton thing, I had a little bit of a crush on Monica Lewinsky, or at least I was messing with my mom and saying I had a crush on her. I'm not sure which it was. But Monica Lewinsky was always, you know, an attractive girl, and I always sort of felt bad for her, you know, in the situation, because we didn't really know what was what, you know? Um, and then the media portrayed it one way, and it might have been a different way. But what, what's so interesting about the Clinton affair is finally they have, like, I think they did, like, 20 hours of recording with Monica Lewinsky. They made a six-part, seven-hour document of the impeachment essentially leading up to his election um the affairs the impeachment etc and surprisingly it gives you a well-rounded view of because i expect the media to just be liberal um and then i expect fox news to be conservative and that's kind of where the cards fall this is on a and e and it's surprisingly pretty balanced um there are some you know liberal leanings but at the same time it, it, it really humanizes characters in a way that I wasn't expecting. Monica Lewinsky, I see who she really is instead of this caricature of, you know, this person who's like a temptress in the White House. I Bill Clinton, I used to think like, and I think everybody kind of knows that like at least, you know, personally relationship-wise, he isn't like the classiest dude. I'll put it that yeah. way, right? But with Monica Lewinsky in this, you start to get the impression he really liked her. Like maybe even was infatuated or in love with her when you hear about the gifts and all this stuff. So all I'm saying is it's a compelling narrative and I never would have watched it on my own, but I was brought to it by someone and I have just been riveted by the story, the drama of it. It's it's like a Greek tragedy writ large, like you could never believe. And they do this wonderful job in seven hours of, of documenting it. And it's, it's all revelations, you know? You see something on OJ, usually it's like, well, I kind of know the OJ story. I thought I knew this story, and I was wrong. There is so much more depth to it. How Linda Tripp was wired. I mean, it's got wiretapping. It's got impeachments. It's got affairs. It's got lewd gifts. It's got the dress and the cigar. And I mean, you name it. It's just so interesting and lurid. And oh, it's great. So if you want a great documentary, The Clinton Affair is fantastic. Again, I never would have turned it on, but now that I've been turned on to it. Um, I was going to say, I finished any recommendation from you. I know. never watched nonfiction. And I'm not into politics. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I only peripherally. I try right, to stay right. out because it's just a miserable situation. Sure, sure. Um, number two, again, nonfiction. Wouldn't have watched it on my own, but was brought to it by someone. It just launched on Amazon, and it's called The Creepy Line. And it is about, this is a subject you probably know a lot about, Jacob. It is about Google um, and about, you know, essentially just what we're giving Google every day. Um, and so it's talking about, and I didn't really think about this. I always knew that my searches were, of course, monitored, and they were sending me ads based on that. But that's as much as I really thought about it. But actually, and I'm only halfway through the documentary, but actually, every email you write is fair game. Every Google Doc you write is their property. They can go through every word of everything that I write and, and read it and then use it to do whatever they want. And that's we fair. have agreed to that by using it. There's a gr user agreements we click on never read that tell us that. Um, and, and I just didn't realize, it's, it's something about the email thing really got to me. I was like, wow. If I could butt in real yeah, fast, there's something you haven't even agreed to. I'm using the Google phone and it has a feature where it listens for songs that are playing and automatically identifies them for you. The up downside to that is they're constantly listening to what's going on around you and passing it through a search algorithm or a matching algorithm. Right. So you right? just right. What do you recommend I not write? So on the I have just... uh, unfortunately <laughs> even even without your permission, when you go out in public now, 
that information is there. Yeah. Will they use that? Probably not. Right, but right. That's the thing. It's, it's there. It's not your choice. It, exactly. That's the thing about all of this that, that I've always been on the line about is because I always said, you know, I am not in the CIA and I am not a criminal. I am not into weird, creepy stuff. So I feel like I'm fine. But people that know better than me and have lived longer than me always say it's a slippery fucking slope and you better protect your privacy. Benjamin Franklin, he said, people who are willing to sign away their liberties don't deserve them in the first place. There you go. And I so mean, that's, that's a paraphrasing, but that's the, that's the crux of what he said. And so the trade-off we have is... Oh boy, I'm glad we have you this for this conversation. The trade-off that we have is an incredible convenience. Your phone is telling you what songs are playing. My Google... Uh, home or whatever at home, which I'm which I'm selling by the way, but I have one right now, which I unplugged pretty close to immediately once it started doing creepy things, and I knew it was listening to everything. Um, but like, I can just say play this song, it plays it. I can say turn on this light, it turns it on. I can say send me a message, it sends me a message. All of that stuff is incredibly convenient. Um, uh, my Google infrastructure on my computer is insanely convenient. Chrome, and there's that one little button over to the side with all the little dots on it, and you click it, there's Google Drive, can send big files to my friends. There's my Google Docs, there's my Google Sheets. Anything you want to do, free. Do I want to pay $100 for Microsoft Word? No, I don't. You know what I mean? There it is, it's free. But the price is you. You are the payment. Your yourself, your mm-hmm. personal stuff. So anyway, it's a disturbing concept, but one everybody should know, just so you can be an informed consumer. I'm not saying don't use Google. I'm saying just know what you're doing, you know? And so it's interesting. I mean, I still choose to use their stuff. You have a pixel. I've signed away my soul to them. Right. But with being aware that I need to be careful with how I interact with it and what I see online may be targeted at me specifically. Right, right. And so that's that's an interesting thing. You're a person that's completely cognizant of this and willing to make the deal anyway. Yeah. So that's that. I that wasn't being said, before. I rejected Facebook entirely whenever their data privacy stuff went out. So not to say you should just accept it blindly. Yeah. It's just this is one that I'm okay with. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's important for consumers. To make that decision. Right. And that's the other <laughs> thing. Absolutely. And that's the other thing this documentary goes into. And I'm only halfway through it. The other concept is manipulating, like in a in a puppet master way, political views. Right? Because these companies they have views on the world and politics. And then, you know, obviously politics affect commerce because the people you put in office decide your tax rate, all those kind of things that affect companies tremendously. And they can, through the use of their algorithms, determine what results you're seeing. They can use the concept of uh, negative bias. So, like, you know, for example, I'm not saying they do this, but for example, one candidate, you see no- nothing but positive results until you get to the next page. Another candidate, you might see four positives and one negative. And knowing human nature is to zone in on the negative first. That's essentially, basically, you know, it's manipulating your understanding of a political candidate. And they do that every day that they make a changes to their algorithm. They are making those decisions for us. Sometimes it's unintended. I believe um, it. As someone who studied some data science in my background, uh, for example, there was this, this controversy a few years ago where someone's, it was actually FaceApp. If you've ever used FaceApp, it's the, the photo altering software. Um, there was a beautifying feature that would like make you more sexy or more beautiful. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it would make, if you if you apply, you took the picture that it outputted, uh, oh, I know where this set it is back going. in, and you iterated multiple times. It would get whiter and whiter. You would look like a white Hollywood actor, and that's because it's not because they were trying to do that intentionally. It's because the machine learning model they had trained on the photo set just happened to be majority white. 
And it's our society's view of that. So when they were going and they were asking people, is this person pretty? Is this person not? And then they'd be like, okay, we're going to use this picture to train our model. That's a dangerous political move. (laughs) It's it's not something that they do intentionally. And oftentimes it's unintended bias slips in. Right. And since it's fully automated, can we hold them responsible? Right, but that, that's a political discussion. I'm not going to go down that exactly, line. <laughs> and I don't go down any of those lines. Yeah. But, but just to say, this documentary is excellent because it's making you aware mm. and it's asking those yeah. questions, and it's by a guy named Peter Schweitzer, so it has political motives. Everything does. There's no. I mean, you have to going into any kind of piece of media, you got to realize that it's going to have it, you know a perspective, and mm-hmm. so you just have to realize that. Anyway, all of that aside, because it's not usually what we talk about, but <laughs> it it is. It was really interesting. So those are the two things that I've really consumed that are on that side. Now the other thing, though, that I've been into lately is. Um, this phenomenal uh, British slash, I think it's a British and Icelandic series called Fortitude. This show is ridiculous. Is that the one in... Set in like a... The Antarctic space? Yes. Yes. It's it's set set in like, uh, I'll tell you exactly what the... uh, Quoting Wikipedia here. Fortitude is a British sci-fi psychological thriller television series created and written by uh, Simon Donald. Um... Premise. On the Norwegian Arctic island of Svalbard, things appear calm on the surface. A string of violent and increasingly strange deaths, one of which, due to an exotic parasite that has survived in the ice for thousands of years, slowly exact a toll on the quiet international community, where almost everyone appears to be keeping at least one secret. So what it really is, is one of these, like, broad churchy shows, Mm -hmm. where you see a community... And a crime happens, and then they use that crime to explore the secrets hiding below the surface. But in this case, and the reason I went to this, I've always had it on my list, because it's got Stanley Tucci in one of the roles. Oh, wow. It's got Eccleston in one of the roles. Mm-hmm. It's it's just this amazing show. It's got, um, and the other thing that really drew me to it is it has the original killing was called For Brittleson, um, and it had this main star was Sophie Grable, and she's one of the leads in this. Um, but what's cool is this town is like, there's a hundred people that live there, but it's got ties to the mainland i think like iceland and england have like a co-ownership of this this antarctic society right and so what it is though is because they have to have a proxy government to, to manage it so when a crime happens it's in disarray so that at the head of the proxy government is the governor who's also the sheriff who is sophie grable because she's got dual roles of such a small citizenship and then she has like a a bag man main officer guy who like runs the police there and he's like it and then then she wants to start like this ice hotel and she's got all this investment in it Uh but if christopher eccleston's group of environmentalists who are there and have to sign off on a release that says you're not going to destroy any environmental things of value then she won't get her ice hotel and then eccleston dies so in the first episode and so the concept is did she do it? Did she put mm-hmm. someone up to it? And then wait, there's another death that happened a couple years ago. What happened there? Mm-hmm. And all of this intrigue. That's just the very base level, and that part alone is fascinating. But then you have the the players in the game, and their secrets are starting to crop up. Affairs that people are having. The one that really blew me the most away is, I don't even want to want to reveal it, but there's, there's a very sick sexual relationship going on. Um, and a guy that's doing tremendous harm to a girl but in a very unusual way you would never guess or expect in a huge twist that just like sent my mind reeling like it's just a show that is way better than it's like already good and then it just takes it and just notches it up two or three more levels to like just masterpiece level again I haven't finished it yet and 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 the core mystery is getting a little bit 
long in the tooth. Like, it's starting to get a little bit, uh, you know, out there. And, like, that can't, well, this is starting to, put, you know, uh, strain my credulity a little bit. Maybe that'll come back. But as far as, like, it being an excuse or a MacGuffin, a MacGuffin, as you will, to get me through this story of all these people and the fascinating secrets they hide, it's remarkable. So the second season also came out. That one is led by... Another really famous actor um, who, because as I, the first season has Stanley Tucci as kind of like the the famous guy who agreed to do twelve episodes, you know, and then the second one has another really famous guy. Hold on a second, it is, um, oh god, um, Dennis Quaid leads it, leads the second series, and then that was the both the first and second are twelve, and then the third one has been commissioned, and it's four. To close out the series. So they're going to have a real ending of four episodes. Which okay. I love when they do that. Yeah. If you're going to kill the show, kill it with four, man. Right, right. Kind of like... I've seen it described as Twin Peaks if sci-fi was actually involved. If, if there yeah. was, you know, some conspiracy or scientific thing at the end of the day. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. because Twin Peaks has a very similar feel. Small town, secrets coming right. to the surface, an investigation... The twists and turns, mm-hmm. but it's more surreal, and it always stuff. feels like yes. there's something yeah. weird going on. But at the end of the day, there really isn't. Yeah. But that is the but point. At that the he end makes. of the day, under fortitude, is there is that weird alien parasite driving all of these mur- the, the murders, at least potentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't really know. I mean, I don't know that that's the cause or what's going on there. But well, it's what they want to frame it as, at least in the up front. Exactly. Like the first ep- I've seen the first episode. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, man. It's interesting. You should watch it because it's way better than you think it is. That's yeah. kind of what I'm driving at here. By episode five or six, like your mouth is agape. Like, wow, this show! I can't believe it's not more famous than it is. It's one what of are those you experiences. On? I'm Prime. Okay. It's Amazon Prime. Okay. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. remarkable. Cool. Um, so anyway, that's my stuff, and okay. I know you have a couple to close out, right? I uh, I saw Creed two yesterday, so I'll talk about. And we'll do game at the end. Go ahead, <laughs> Creed two. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think most people are really big fans of the first one. It was one that really revitalized the Rocky franchise and gave it a new light by you know, making Adonis, I mean, Adonis Creed, the son of Apollo Creed, the star. Um, and it was, uh, you know, big for Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan's careers. And the this movie one, was was way better than at any right to yeah, be. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, for a franchise that had has more sequels than it has any right to, I mean, um, and now has, like, a sort of reboot new era of the franchise. Um, but this one... I thought it did because uh, I mean, it was one I was somewhat skeptical about only because Ryan Cooler wasn't back to direct because he's busy with Black Panther. Uh, you know, it had a lot of the tropes of the Rocky sequels, which made them less than the first one. You know, by having because in this one he fights the son of Ivan Drago, um, and Ivan Drago killed Apollo Creed. But um, it it surprisingly worked really well. Yeah, I thought it had a good emotional core to it. Um, it wasn't and, just rehashy. No, I thought it. It's almost like a. I mean, I mean, it's isn't it like, by definition rehashy? Well, I mean, no? yeah, but like it. I mean, you know that where the story is going. It's not. I'm not gonna say there's any like. Oh my gosh, big moment. But as far as a story that works really well, it's cohesive yeah. and is also more of a follow up to Rocky Four, which is where uh, Ivan Drago is uh, kills Apollo Creed. It's more of a sequel to that one, and while also you know continuing Adonis' story. But it really ties the threads of the Rocky franchise and the Creed franchise together well. Um, strong performances all around. I mean, everyone's back, and um, and even though, like, I will, I'm not gonna say it's like super in depth or anything like that. But they actually do a nice job of providing the villains at least some humanity and giving them enough of a backstory to make them like 
not like oh I just want to see you know Creed kick his ass and like, oh, like, although mean, you do you do but like uh, but you also do come to have some empathy for Ivan and his son um, and Victor Drago who's he's played by an actual UFC fighter and the I mean I saw it with my neighbor and like we both had a great time but we, he was like yeah if Creed wasn't required to win he definitely would have lost if this was in at all realistic because yeah. the dude is just a beast in you there. can but say like, that about the original Rocky I mean yeah it's true yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I mean but that's the thing about all the Rocky movies it's underdog versus you know Titan story but it's a lot of fun I really enjoyed it um Fun fact: The who'd you show, go with? My neighbor. Um, okay. Uh, and um, so I was the, gonna say, like, I don't know who. I don't. I wouldn't have wanted to go. No, I, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. But but you but you were like driven to see it. Yeah, I wanted to. I, okay. I really enjoyed the first one, and I my dad's a big Rocky fan. I probably would have gone with him, but he had to work yesterday. I want to see um, Bad Times at the but, at Battle at the Battle Yeah, Royale, yeah. No. But that's what I want to see. Like I got one? that on the list, man. I need. Oh, to that's see that. still on my top of the year, but. Creed 2 was a very nice Thanksgiving holiday weekend movie. I mean, good <laughs> blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. It's enjoyable. In the, it has a really good soundtrack. The thing I want to mention was the showrunner of Luke Cage co-wrote it. He wrote an earlier draft, and then they gave him a story credit on it. Cool. So that was cool. And Stallone co-wrote the script, too. So nice. It's a lot of fun, man. Stallone. It's got, Stallone. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I love the cast. It's got really strong performances and, I mean, a predictable but solid story and really good fight scenes. So. Cool. Um well, speaking of fight scenes, um, we uh, so so we don't talk much on the Joy of Geek about gaming because we have the Joy of Gaming to do that. However, Jacob is here, and so I wanted to do a little stealth discussion about just a couple of games we've both been playing. I'm going to start with Odyssey. So I have gone on a literal Odyssey with Assassin's Creed mm-hmm. Odyssey. I clocked in at either 99 or 100 hours when all was said and done. Okay. This game is massive. Mm-hmm. Massive. Um, it is literally... Probably the biggest, most involved game I've ever played, aside from MMOs that I don't really get into. You know, um, it's 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 gigantic. There is this world. It takes place in the Greek islands. Um, it is uh, in the time of you Peloponnesian know, War. Right, right. Well <clears throat> said. And uh, you play as either Cassandra or Alexios, who are brother and sister. Um, and whoever you pick, the other one is still in the story in a very important way. Um, and so it can it flips whichever way. The script is exactly the same for either character, which is fascinating, but it's either performed by a female, Cassandra, or a male, Alexios, but the script is almost, except for his and her which and she I and she. I found Cassandra's portrayal is actually more human than Alexios. Way better. Alexios feels like uh, your typical silent protagonist almost he does there's almost no character there yeah but cassandra like she has so much interaction especially if you, you start doing the romantic stuff mm-hmm. with her it really comes out she she comes alive so it's true so it, this it's is, a nice take this is the first time that assassin's creed game has done um sex in their game so like what they call uh, romantic side quests or romances um it's the first time they've had story choices you can make so there's dialogue choices that you make throughout the game, and they and they're they're significant and insignificant. So I, you know, always did like the right thing. It's the only way I know how to play games. <laughs> I can't play evil. I just can't. Um, Slytherin, err. Um, but I just can't. I just I feel bad when I'm doing bad decisions in games. I just don't enjoy it. But um, in this game, there's two ways that it manifests. So, there's small decisions you make, and in those cases, and here's a great one I'm going to tell you from early on. So at the very first island that you go, that you start out with, it's sort of like the tutorial island. A lot of places have these. In this one, it's called Kefalonia, and it's essentially like a microcosm of the larger world. It has all the kinds of quests you're going to experience, but like one of them. So you don't get overwhelmed, and you experience this mini story before you go off, get your boat, and set sail. Um, and on this mini island, 
there's this place you go to and there's this impossible choice. And the choice is, here are these four people, a mother, a father, and their two children who have this terrible disease that's going to kill the entire island if it stays there. And there's these priests that roll up and they're like, we have to kill these people and burn them because if we don't, this island is good. Everyone will die. And so initially I was like, I mean, of course I can't kill these people in cold blood. That's just unheard of. But I was like, you know what? I just got to look it up. So I looked it up online because I can't, I just couldn't do it. Um, And it said, you better kill those people because if you don't, you'll come back and the entire island is raised to the ground. So caveat to that. That would have been amazing if they actually... That would have been a Mass Effect series-level decision-making tree. Uh-huh. Which, unfortunately, I'm the one who picked to let them stay alive. Okay. Cause I, which later, I would have. Later, it comes back. You're in Athens. It's it's after the whole... I won't go... I won't do any spoiler there. But yeah. you're in Athens. It's after you do the main stuff there. And then you return, and then you find out that the plague has not only taken over the entire island of Cephalonia, but has spread to Athens as well. And there's like this green haze around the city. People are coughing and dying. You leave Athens, you go do other stuff, and then you come back, and everything's fine. You go back to Cephalonia, everything's fine. That sucks. It it never actually follows up. So there, I'm like, I love that they went for it, but they they, didn't follow through. But see, you and I and I agree with what you're saying. But you get at least you had the experience of it. Oh, I did feel terrible at first. I was like, oh crap, Athens is dying because of me. But then it didn't follow through. So here's the here's the problem too, is that it's an open world game. Mm-hmm. And in an open, and the biggest problem with this game, this game is is, is absolutely masterpiece level Assassin's Creed it's game in big. the new style. It's too big, <laughs> but it there's about six or seven different types of things you do. Mm-hmm. You take down forts, you raid tombs, and when I say that, it just means like breaking down walls and finding a chest or or, an, yeah. or, a, or a piece Nothing of furniture. Like tomb right, right, not not real missions like with real stuff you do like jumping puzzles or anything. Um, you. Uh, do story missions, which can be some variety, but not that much. Um, you do these uh, uh, missions where you have to kill everybody in a certain area, um, and then maybe one other type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then you do that times three hundred. There's three hundred examples of each. They're riddled all over the map, and you just go there and do them. Now there are unique things that are fun, like there's four mythological creatures that are amazing to destroy, and they lead into this whole big plot later. There are um, uh, the, I always like the tombs only because they give you an experience point, so that's cool. There's a huge tree of skills to fill out that's really fun. Um, your 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 overpower attacks are really fun. There's lots of really fun stuff in the game, mm-hmm. but essentially you're doing the same thing a lot. It's it's the gameplay I wish the earlier games had had. At least the combat. The combat, I do miss the old assassination system because mm. assassinations now... Most of the time, I just wind up assassinating from a bush. Right. I don't. There, there's no point in trying to climb up above someone anymore. Uh, uh, well, now the only thing I use is I use rush assassination yeah. on everything. Yeah, yeah. You, you just press. Well, I'm a PC, yeah. so you just use that ability. You throw your dagger at someone, they die, and then it gives you an amount of time to throw your dagger at someone else and chain that. Yeah. So, and then by the time you level it up fully, because you have to level your spear to let you level your abilities up, and once I got that, you get four chains. So pretty much any four dudes you can kill immediately. You feel badass doing it, but really, it's it old. It's fun. It does get old, but I, I still love it. And I still lean on it heavily. So you just soup up your assassin skills mm-hmm. because there's even assassin skills that are very warrior tree. 
So you can really level up your assassin tree, and then you can do mm-hmm. that hero strike, which is essentially just using your assassin assassin damage, which is way higher than warrior, as a warrior move in combat. Anyway, all this is getting in the weeds. The point is, the game is really fun, it's and I've fun. never been yeah. so. I, every time, every night, I'd have to get home and I'd play it, and it was like hours of my time. And I just, I, as boring as parts of it was, I just wanted to keep playing. It makes me wish they could go back to the old games and redo it in this style. So I, I have to disagree there. I love the new style, but I highly miss Assassin's Creed Two. That's what I was, I was about to say. I miss Assassin's Creed Two, but I, so I was going to say, Both. I wish they would import the combat from Odyssey because Assassin's just Creed for 2, when a combat breaks just out. Just for when a combat breaks out. Yep. And then I wish they would bring the skill tree, but not the skill tree they have in Odyssey, but the, when they first implemented it in uh, Syndicate. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the skill tree in this is too OP. Mm-hmm. Like, as you it said, is like the dagger chain, right? And you would get OP in Syndicate, but not until you completed stuff after the main game had finished. And also, in this one, like you have the overpower skills. No, I totally know what you mean. The overpower yeah. skills in this are so beastly mm-hmm. that, like... And then there's even an item you get late in the game. I mean, they do some of that. They do gate some of the tougher skills, mm-hmm. like, around a weapon that you get late game. Like, yeah. there's a weapon. You may not know this yet, but there's a weapon you get that gives you minus one adrenaline points required for overpower. So instead of okay. three bars, it takes two, okay. which is a huge difference. I mean, you can do four or five of them, at, you know, with your full bar. Is it the special sword? Mm, I think it's a. I think it's a, a heavy weapon okay, of okay. some sort. Um, special swords are cool, though. But then there's loot in this game, like there was in Origins. Yeah. But I think what's important to note about all of these, and, and here, and you're not gonna believe when you hear this, as big an AC fan as I am, the one I haven't played is Syndicate. And a lot oh. of people tell me Syndicate's my favorite. That's what world. a lot of people say. And I'm and I'm like, and I love London, <laughs> you know. So for some reason, I just didn't play. You know what happened to me? Unity happened to me, and then yeah, I got turned off. I never finished Unity. Yeah, nobody did, or um, a lot of people didn't. Go back and do Syndicate, and I think you'll find like. They, at this point, I'm happy with the series, though. They keep trying new things, so it doesn't stay stale. But I would like to see them go back and explore Ezio with some features. You know, pick them. I feel like they're fleshing things out, and then eventually they're going to settle on a final game that's going to have the best Both. of everything. Yeah, it's true, because this one loses a lot. Uh, for what it gains. Like, mm-hmm. it gains the skill tree that's so complete. It gains the really cool combat that has depth to it. But what it loses is any of that Coherence. feeling, right, and any of that feeling that I'm an assassin. Mm-hmm. And the story just feels willy-nilly. Like you said, you go to one place, it's torn up by this disease, then it's not anymore. Yeah. It's just it's just very... It doesn't have that, like, real hardcoreness that AC2 used to have, where it felt, like, severe and extreme. So I guess conclusion on it is it's fun, yeah. but it's not it's not the best of Assassin's Creed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It's kind of like Black Flag, where it was a fun, you know, like set in the universities and the mechanics, but it doesn't really feel like an entry in the franchise. So, so I, I, I get your point. Story. I get your point. Um, yeah. I, I happen to love Black Flag because I actually ended yeah. up really. Oh, loving, I love Black Flag. Yeah, too. yeah, but it's different. It's not. It's, it's not. It's not this. It doesn't contribute to the story at all. It's almost like there's three eras of Assassin's Creed. There's Assassin's Creed. Two and onward. One is just a, a tech demo. There's two and onward, right? Up until Black Flag. Black Flag is like this transitional game. Well, that would be the story. So there was uh, the Miles the Miles story, story R- right. right? That ended. Black Flag, Unity, and Syndicate were all between, and now they're starting a new story arc with Od- uh, with Origins with Kayla. Yeah, with Kayla. 
Interesting. So they are very make that connection. Yeah. There's a lot of, and that's another thing for people that like this show but don't play a lot of video games. There's a lot of narrative going There's on. There's story, man. deep story. These are 90 plus, 70 plus hour games in the modern ones. Back in the day in 2008, it was a 30 hour game, which but was still, unheard of. Yeah. yeah. It's, they're, they're really, they're really cool. Cool. So we got Assassin's Creed covered. Last thing I want to just touch on, I haven't been playing it. I've lapsed on Destiny, but how are you enjoying Forsaken? It's amazing. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> It, it fixed the problems I had with... I, I mean, I stopped playing Destiny 2 after it came out and I finished the main story because there was nothing post-game. Uh, picked up Forsaken and, and there's just so much to do now. Especially just, with the Gambit game mode. I just remember, like, when the first Destiny came out because, I mean, I haven't played video games in a long time, but, I mean, of course, everyone in the geek culture knew about Destiny, whether you play video games or not. But I remember when it... There was all that hype. Then when it came out, so, like, one of my former caregivers was playing it and what he was most disappointed about it was, like... There was, like, you know, there's the main story, which didn't take long to beat, but then there was, like, these little side levels that, like, you were expect you thought you could go into and do side missions stuff, and you couldn't, and that was, so, does that, it that get rectified in this one? So, it, many times. They've changed, actually, game mechanics, so that, that's the kind of thing with games these days, is they're living, breathing, like, it's not like back in the day where you have your disc and it's that game Right, forever. right, right. They release updates. So over the like last three DLC, called games as a service, games as a service, or live right. games. Okay, yeah, yeah. They've overhauled mechanics. Like I came back and a bunch of my weapon mods were useless because they were um, deprecated. So you, I just had to trash them, which they gave me a lot of stuff I could use, but um, it, it changes. So they actually shake that up a little bit. They leave okay. the core stuff intact, but they change how it works. Okay. But one of the big things that they effed up on in Destiny, and this is like the saga of Destiny, is Destiny 1 started out, like, so first of all, the shooting in Destiny is the best shooting I've ever felt in any game ever. No question. Hands down, the it's best gunplay. between ease and feeling like a badass. Yes. And actually being challenging. And, right. It's it's everything you want from shooting, and it's got a special what they call bungee magic. Like, the idea that you have heard them talk about it at length, but the fact that you can just swivel around and pop with a hand cannon into a headshot and make it their head explode, like, that feeling is unmatched in any game. And right. they're, they're the masters of that. Um, but... They make a lot of mistakes as a company, and unfortunately, they got the, the combat really well done in the first game, and, and the combat was great, but then it ran out of stuff to do. Then they made it better and better and better for two full years till it became this really like in-depth, hardcore game that had a huge fan base people were really digging. Then Destiny 2 comes out, and again, a lot of this is their parent company, Activision, is twisting their arm to make it more casual and make more numbers. They want Call of Duty numbers that they're not getting, uh -huh. um, but they made it essentially much more accessible, which was great for, an hour, for, for a month, but then essentially everyone realized, wait a minute, all the lessons they learned and the depth they added in Destiny yeah. 1 is gone. So then it took another year to now <laughs> get that back. Now, essentially, it's why I And it exists entirely in the post-game. Right. So you have to complete all the campaign missions okay. for all the DLC, and then you have to even grind a little bit further. The Dreaming City? Uh, to the Dreaming City, and then even and then once you get there, you're actually too weak until you just do some grinding to do stuff there. So there, there is a bit of grinding, but it's relatively easy to get up to the point. I also heard that the new raid is the hardest raid ever. It is, but there was current there was recently a team that did it with only one person doing weapon damage. Um, and it's because there's a bug in the game right now. Oh, but, okay. Um, <laughs> it's doable, but you have to be have the you max done it? light level now. I yeah, haven't done it I don't even yet. want to fuck with it. And that's my main complaint. There's not enough social features in the game. Like, it's there. Like if you want to do raid, you have to have six people, but you can only queue three on your fire team. Hmm. So you have to find six people 
all around the same power level to go do this raid. That all agree on doing it. And that all agree on doing it. And that can dedicate six hours because people yeah. drop out all the time. Right, right. right. And, and then the big deal is if you want to and you use like di- the official discords and stuff they have in place to do this, people are snobby. They're like, you have to have perfect gear. You have to be mm-hmm. the max level. You mm-hmm. have to like have read the guide on how to but, do every boss. And the worst part of it too is, so I found the perfect situation, Jacob. Like, this is the dreams. Maybe not quite perfect. Perfect would be you and me and four other people in real life that are friends that are committed to this. Which I ironically have that. <laughs> Isn't that I'm fun? lucky and it's fun. Right. But I don't. And so yeah. when I was playing it, I had the second best to that, which is I made friends online mm-hmm. and I had a clan that was awesome. And so... We were doing the raids, and it was great, and and all of that. Even when it was working just like it should, my anxiety was at 11 the whole time (laughs) that I was going to fuck up. I get that, but I mean, (laughs) I was like, I'll tell you when it was. It was the jumping puzzles in... um, In the... um, In the... the, the, Fuck, it's been a little while. Um, The the main Destiny 2 raid. Um, Leviathan. Leviathan, yeah. It was the one where you're jumping and then running around in a circle. Mm-hmm. What is it called again? Um, I forget. The Gauntlet. It's the ga- called Gauntlet. Yeah. Um, I just do it. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it, right, right. But it's a, it's a huge bitch, and if you miss one jump, you can kill the whole raid, and it's called a wipe, and it feels like shit. Mm-hmm. And when you wipe for your team, and everybody is doing their part, and I'm talking about well-honed oil machine. Everybody's got to shoot at exactly the right time, then turn around and shoot at this time, then take out this enemy at exactly this time, and if they don't, this enemy comes and kills somebody, boop, it's a wipe. Five other people are devastated that you fuck them over. That is how I feel when I play Destiny Raids. And it's exciting when you win, but when you lose it for the team, I'll hear things like, come on, porcupine, what the fuck, and shit like that. You know what I mean? And I don't lose all that much, but I'm always worried that's going to happen. And it's very stressful. So they need to make it more accessible. Like I think they should add scaling, so you don't have to do it with six people, and it scales to your power level, which... Which, for puzzles, though, that wouldn't work. For puzzles, but the the way around that is you have one person stay back as the spawn point. Um, unless that, no, that's not how Well, no, the works. way around that yeah. is design a different raids that can work for scalability. Yeah, and, and they've added, there There are three raids, or two raids now. I forget if there's a third one. Anyway. Um, well, there's raid layers, and yeah. Yeah, so it feels like a fully fleshed out raid like you would in C in an MMO, which is good and bad. If they want to keep it casual, it's bad. If they want to make it a serious game, then it's good, and that that's the post game I'm talking about, is... You get to that point, and it's about grinding for the raids. Right. You're right. And that's and that's really good for hardcores, because yeah. they want that, that time investment. Anyway, long story short, it's really fun now. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. TLDR, play some Destiny <laughs> Forsaken if you're cool. if you're not me. It's a good story. Yeah, and they got the story right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, because yeah. you know that was pretty weak early on. Light versus dark was yeah, like this, the Yeah, a lot of people hate it, but that's because there's a certain thing that happens that's very controversial. Well, we'll talk about that offline. But I won't spoil it. All right, cool. So, um, on that note, the time has come to talk of many things, um, especially Fantastic Beasts 2, Crimes of Grindelwald. So, um, let's... We've talked about Fantastic Beasts on the podcast before, you and I, Kevin. Yeah. So, let's... Why don't you, Jacob, take us away, tell us, what is your history with um, Harry Potter? Mm -hmm. And what was your thoughts on Fantastic Beasts 1? Because people have heard ours. Okay. Uh, well, I grew up reading the books, naturally, uh, multiple times, and actually I read all of them in about a month and a half in the fourth grade. 
Oh, okay. So the way it fell for you, it wasn't Not as they all were coming of them. out. All of them up till four, and then I was with oh, okay. them after. So it was as out. they were coming out. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. Um, because I came from a household where Harry Potter was a wizard and witches are evil. So you're not allowed wow. to experience that until I was old enough. Right. Um, so grew up with that, grew up loving the movies, and then Pottermore is the, the best thing ever. Is it? Yeah. Pottermore um, is pretty cool. It's, I mean, it's like the living, it's a living Wikipedia of Harry Potter stuff. Okay. That's the way I like to describe it. Okay. J.K. Rowling just goes on there and expands her universe. Okay, all right. It's almost like, uh, like I mean, uh, how big a World of Warcraft fan were you? I'm not. Okay, but uh, but you know about like how extensive like the world building is there. Like, yeah. They, like within the game, you have all those story. It's Pottermore is like the equivalent of that. Where like <laughs> they're you get, not. You're not just the book. Yeah. You can learn. They're not really stories either. They're more get, like, like snippets, snippets, like and the history bio- of McGonagall. Right, biographical information. Yeah, biographical information. Like, so it's almost like an infinite number of that book, Fantastic Beasts, that came out and fleshed out like Newt Scamander and the Beasts. Even but, but like small, but over and over and over again. Chunked up into smaller bits, but released in a larger number. Okay. Right, and it, it, it's more of just like uh, if you wanted to go online and you would just Google like, um, where can I get good coffee? Like, and and in this website, you could conceivably Google something like, where would I find the best one? And of course, Ollivanders would pop up, right? But it would it would not only show you Ollivanders, it would show you the other wand makers, not even just in Europe, but also in like Japan. Right. Which there's only one there. See, like, there's this <laughs> is dangerous though, because once you start to make all, draw all these lines in the sand for your fiction, mm-hmm. then you've got a million parameters. We've seen this in the extended universe and the Star mm-hmm. Wars stuff. Yeah. Where all of a sudden now, okay, so you've decided where the best wand maker is in Japan. Next thing you know, you make a Harry Potter movie or a Harry Potter spinoff set in or around Japan, and then you have a wand shop that's not that shop. Or somebody makes some offhand comment like, oh, have you been to whatever's? And it's like, oh, well, actually, have you yeah, looked yeah, at blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's it's almost dangerous what she's doing. In fact, I'll go a step further. It is dangerous what she's doing. It happened in Fantastic Beasts 2 in a couple of places. Right. Um, and that's been the main complaints, but... But again, for that, it's a trade-off. There's a little bit of lore hiccups. I, for me, my perspective on that is just fuck it. For me, as long as the hiccups don't interfere with the story, I don't care. Yeah. Ultimately, like people are the biggest complaints are by far McGonagall. She wasn't born until 1936. The movie takes place in 1927. Yet she's in her mid 20s in the movie. That's so minor. Um, and I'm like, I, see, I it would have been one thing that. if at the end she had like jumped in and saved the day doing something really important. Right, because then she's she's a major player, but she's just chilling in the background as comedic relief. Um, And to to actually act kind of as fan service. Yeah, and it is. All those sections in Fantastic Beasts, and we'll talk about it in a minute, are that when they go to the Harry Potter areas. Yeah, at the end of the day, every mechanic concerning the story is sound. And I, I chalk that up to production. J.K. Rowling wrote the screenplay, she approved of things, but in production, the actor says one thing instead of another, or they're like, ooh, this would be fun, let's add this in. J.K. Rowling's like, oh yeah, that'd be fun, let's just do it, without much thought. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. maybe. I mean, Or maybe she just didn't think that this was... I mean, we're talking about a couple years. It's yeah. not a huge error. It's a very nitpicky thing. Well, it's like she, she was born in 1930s, so she didn't start... And it's also stated in the fifth book, she had been teaching at Hogwarts since about 1955. So oh, when Umbridge asks her, how long have you been teaching Transfiguration? She said about 35 years or 34 years. So that places it in roughly 1955. And then this was when? 
1927. So it's literally 30 years off. It's 30 years off. That's pretty fucked up. That's pretty fucked up. But she has literally two lines. She's shouting a girl's name, and then... And guess what? They shouldn't have been in the movie. They right. shouldn't have been. They shouldn't I don't, have been. I'm not pissed, but, but they I'm shouldn't not have been. Mad. Right, right, In exactly. fact, I found it funny when I watched it. Yeah. So yeah. I, it becomes, like... But wait, but doesn't that, like, annoy J.K. Rowling? That, like, you know, doesn't it bother her? Like, I would think it'd bother me she if I was the creator. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if we want to go into it, I could go into a whole situation of plot holes, uh, self-contradictions in the original books and movies. How many times that happened, but we didn't complain because we were kids. Right. We were you brought up a... Bring up the good, the one you brought up before we started recording. That That's something I yeah, never I want to hear this. about. Well, the expected like, Patronum thing. Yeah. Oh, expected Patronum. So, for example, Bogarts, right? Harry learns expected Patronum on a Bogart with Professor Lupin. Bogarts don't respond like Dementors to the same magic. In fact, he said the only thing that really gets a Bogart is laughter. So why the hell would uh, expected Patronum work on a Bogart? When they're doing that training, when they're thing. doing that yeah. training in, in the third in the third book, that's something I never thought of. That's a good point, right? Yeah. That's yeah. a big yeah. glaring issue. Do we care? No. With the magic mechanics, I mean, it's she has a soft. What comes down to a soft magic system compared to a hard magic. So, if hard magic would be these are set rules, I've defined them. So, think like Aragon, the Aragon series, right? That's very well written. You have to use these words in the right order. They use your physical energy. Uh-huh. If you use more than that you die. More than you have, you die, right? Harry Potter, it's always been loose. Like, she she always just ad-libbed things in at the last second, like, oh, yeah, you can't conjure food. That's the one thing. You can make food multiply, but you can't conjure it out of thin air. And she almost made Random that up hell, entirely right? for the last book because they were like, well, we have to get food. And Ron was like, well, what, why can't we just summon it? And she's like, Ron, because... You can't just summon food out of the Well, even not just with the magic, but also the Ministry of Magic, their rules are pretty loose, too, because they always right. said from the beginning, like, if you use magic outside of school, you'll be expelled. Harry blew up his aunt in... Yeah. Well, but he was about to be expelled in that, wasn't he? What? Well, there, there's a whole politics thing behind that. It's, yeah. Uh, he got in big trouble for it. Yeah, there, there's a whole politics yeah, behind yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do bring up a good point. It's 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 but flexible. Still, they have flexibility. Yeah. yeah. And, exactly. and that's because the focus of her books isn't the rules of magic. Although, the of her but books they're, is but the they're important. They are. And if they weren't important, Pottermore wouldn't be fucking interesting. Right. And so there is So that you guys balance. are raving about how cool Pottermore is by filling out all these details, while at the same time not caring about the details when they conflict. I, I, I'm just right, playing devil's right. advocate. Yeah. No. And so and I'm saying, a, but what a, I'm saying is, if you're going to be nitpicky about the new things, let's be nitpicky about all of them. Right. Exactly. Pick or choose. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. So... For me, at the end of the day, as long as it doesn't come down to a big, big plot point, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Back to the question, though. What were your thoughts on the first Fantastic Beast? So, the first Fantastic Beast... Great call. uh, I liked it. Uh, There are criticisms of it, of course. For me, in particular, it was the... It seems too unguided at the time. Now, now have seen the second one, we know that Credence actually does flesh out to a significant character. Right. It's not just an irrelevant plot point. I think he was I don't think that was the original design. I will tell you here's my thought <laughs> on that. Here's what I've heard about okay. that, right? So, I now now mm-hmm. in the in the lead up to this movie, there's videos online of different stars talking about when they heard what such and such. And all of the stories trace back to the press tour for Fantastic Beasts 1. That is when J.K. Rowling t- 
told the cast what's really going to happen. Now, that isn't proof. It's very possible she came up with that stuff years and years ago. Sure. My guess is that Fantastic Beasts was taking off. They were starting to talk about making it into a franchise instead of just a film, or at least really being serious about a franchise. And at that point, she was like, wow, like, first of all, this whole American thing has to die. It's not just America. We need to make this into a back to Britain, because mm-hmm. that's essentially what happens. And you'll notice at the start of the movie, they don't just show Harry Potter. They show Wizarding World. Right. That logo. Right, right. right. So that's right. Exactly. That's a part of it. Yeah. But, but essentially... They, they, the first movie was very much like we're showing no matches and this is America and this is a totally different piece and it's old, you know, it's 27 or whatever year. Um, and then this one, it's that's out the window. Now this is just like a prequel series to Harry Potter and yeah, the, the entree to this prequel series is Newt Scamander, but essentially it's just a prequel series to Harry Potter and there's going to be five of them and that's mm-hmm. that. And I don't think that was the initial intention. When I look at the tone of the original Fantastic Beasts, I don't think the original intention was for this to turn into a full-fledged prequel you know, quintilogy mm-hmm. about Harry Potter. And so I just think that the motivation changed. That's fine. But Credence, like when we deci- when she decided that Credence was going to be a Dumbledore, again, spoilers, we're going to be talking about Dumbledore's, right. <laughs> when oh, yeah, she, the whole theory on this. Right, well, and we'll talk about that at the yeah. end when we talk about the movie itself. But when she decided that, um, I think probably happened in and around when Fantastic Beasts was already produced, filmed, and in theaters. Okay. Yeah, I mean, those are fair criticisms. And speculate all we can. Right, you know, we don't fun. know. At the end of the day, we have to take it as it's presented to us as a coherent and either series, like it or regardless don't. of intent. Right, right. right. It's, it's the final product. So, in my opinion, the second movie takes the first one and gives it the context it needed. Whether that was the intent or Interesting. not is irrelevant to me, because now the first one was, one, setting up the characters, two, setting up the background of the universe. Good point. Which is better than just jumping in with Grindelwald, because the general public doesn't know who the hell he is. He's mentioned at he's he's not even mentioned by he's mentioned my name a couple times in the movies Alice. he's mentioned a lot in the books but if you're not a true huge fan you're not going to know who he is what he's about so they need to set him up as this bad guy what better way to do that than give him that intro in the context of when it first came out i liked it because i'm a shameless fanboy sure sure did i like did i think the story was pertinent at all not really, not until Grindelwald showed up at the end. And then at which point I'm like, oh, they're going to explore Dumbledore's past. This movie changed all of that for me. because It, it recontextualized it, it. It recontextualized it, which would further the, the whole point you were making just then. But I would argue makes that okay. Yeah. Right? They were just making at a movie least for they, fun. And now least, it has a purpose. And at least they took the time, instead of just moving forward completely, they right. took the time to build the stuff in the present to, to, to illustrate the right. past. A great example is Red Dead Redemption 2 um, prequel is, is... Red Dead Redemption 2, the new game, is a prequel to the Red Dead Redemption that came out and is a beloved game. But it it now, instead of just being, okay, it's a prequel, we're just going to do whatever the fuck we want because it comes before, yeah. they instead made it so that it's a companion piece in mm-hmm. that when you learn about these characters that show up later, you now have a new perspective on who they are and where they came from, adding... A ton of you know making the, the game we're making now more colorful and better for the for the connection, and then also making that game better when you're re-experiencing it through a new lens. And so I think that that's absolutely a valid thing to do mm-hmm. is to go and to and make something new that reflects on something old and changes concepts in it. Definitely, right. and that's why I don't even like to call these prequels. But technically, they are because they exist in the same universe. Right. 
But I would not call them prequels in the same way I wouldn't call the Silmarillion a prequel to the Lord of the Rings. And see, I wouldn't call the Fantastic Beasts a prequel, but I call Fantastic Beasts 2 a prequel. And then by your definition or your explanation that it's now recontextualized, Mm -hmm. one, now I can haul the whole thing a prequel series. But initially I would just say it's a side story. As a standalone movie, I would argue it's weak. I enjoyed it because it's a setting in a universe that I would like one. It's something I wanted to go back and revisit Harry Potter. Of course I want to do that. Did I think it was significant? No. Now I do think it's significant. My gripes with it are that it's so focused on the creatures. Yeah. Which is this Fantastic Beast, and I think that was an unfortunate decision to go with. Yeah, I do too. Because now they're stuck with the name. And they're barely in the second I mean, time. I love yeah. what they've done with Newt Scamander, and there's a whole thing, Dumbledore puts it perfectly, he chose Newt because in Grindelwald's eyes, he's irrelevant, right? So he can get things done. Wow, there's a nice retcon. Why did we choose this irrelevant dude and now have him as the star <laughs> of all this big action? <laughs> it's because, yeah. Right, and I mean... It's, it's fine, though. I'm cool aside, with it, like, as long as it's clever. I love what they've done with his character. I, I agree. I think it would have been much better if they had just... Call the first one, called it fresh, introduce his character, but not with that plot line. Maybe you have creatures, but almost like separate the 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 the, the credence and Grindelwald stuff in the first movie from the creatures stuff. Let us be introduced to Newt on the ending of the creature stuff. Like right. he's rampaging through New York. He finally gets the last creature in his case. Right. Boop. We see that chase scene of him being really right. clever, kind of like in the second it, one with the 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 right the Chinese lion thing. Right. right? Imagine that's our introduction to Newt. See, see, I think my thing about about the whole Newt Scamander of it all and Fantastic Beasts is, again, how incidental it all is. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, it just so happens that J.K. Rowling made this companion book. And so for that, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which all it really was was Pottermore before Pottermore, as yeah. you've described it. It's, yeah. a, it's like, I think it'll be fun if I write a little teeny little pamphlet that'll sell a billion copies about what beasts are like in the Harry Potter world. Wouldn't that be kind of cute, right? For Christmas sales. And now all of a sudden we have a five movie trilo- uh, quite quintology yeah. just because she decided that she was going to do Fantastic Beasts. It could have been anything. It could have been any character. But I think now that that's been decided, aside from the fact that the beasts are a big part of it, and I kind of wish they weren't like you, like you said you did, it is cool that we have this unassuming, shy hero. Mm-hmm. That's a really unique thing we don't get. He's a non-traditional that much. hero, very non-traditional. And I'll think the best example of it is in the new movie, and we'll talk about it more again. I, we keep we keep crisscrossing because it's impossible to talk about the first one now without the context, right? But that scene where he's with the the little animal and he's being like a hero, and and when when um, Rita runs off to like get solace, she comes to him, and he's got this quiet strength to him, mm-hmm. and that quiet strength really gives that character like hero status in a lot it's of ways. It's a refreshing take on male hero. Very he, well He's said. very non traditionally masculine, but he is still a masculine hero yeah. despite him having traditionally feminine qualities, such as being quiet, reserved held back, withdrawn, caring, nurturing, right? Those are things traditionally feminine. And then they turn that on this head, and he's this very powerful figure having that. Right. And also he's intellectual. So, like, for example, uh, he uses um, the idea, like, in the end he makes it. I wish they hadn't made it so blatant. We already knew how we got the, got the, the, the blood oath. We didn't have to blatantly stick it in our face three more times in that final scene, but they did. <laughs> um, but but where he's just like, some people don't realize the power of things that are small, or some shit like that. You know what I mean? I would argue that's very in the 
the the line with the books though yeah. if you think about it dumbledore at the end of sorcerer's stone chamber of secrets was next to harry and make some grand cheesy statement like for example but professor i don't understand why when i touched quirrell he burned and he's like the power of love harry <laughs> your mother died to protect you and your lo- her love for you protected him protected you from him today like, think about how bad that was. Boy, that been. just also illustrates how soft the magic system is. Right. Which <laughs> they want to make a point about love, so that's how you're protected. I don't even think it was love the entire... I think that was just a lie he told Harry. Sure. Because he didn't want to tell him the truth that by Voldemort trying to kill Harry, he'd be trying to kill a part of his soul, so his soul defended and protected itself. Interesting. Um, that's a whole other discussion, but... Right, that, and there the are infinite is, number like, of them showing how, how deep and rich the universe is. the Chamber is. of Secrets, you get the exact same thing, cheesy thing at the end. Like, Dumbledore, everything he says is cheesy and oozing with... Right, and that's sap, right, and this is right? Dumbledore also doing... Yeah, I got it. It's young Dumbledore. Right. Uh, but it, it does fit the, the themes, and so that's something to me that was actually kind of nostalgic. Okay, I'll give you that. All right, so anyway, talking about Fantastic Beasts, when you first saw it, you liked it because you were you were fanboying out, but now in context you like it for new reasons. Is that a summation? Yes. Okay. I like it for the character building. It does a brilliant job establishing those na- that group. So now when we see them in two, we don't have to establish who Queenie is, who Jacob is, who Newt is. The only people we have introduced to us are Lita, Nagini, and Newt's um, brother. Yeah, Theseus. Yeah, yeah. Right. Those are the the, the big four. And Which is about right for a sequel. About that. Right. Movie. And so yeah. if we had to... And then also Grindelwald actually. Right. Well, he, he Well, he was in disguise the whole time. I know, but, like, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, and, yeah. and he's so grandiose as a villain. I mean, he's basically Hitler. Pre pre um what That's... I call what I call pre out of the closet Hitler, where out of the closet Hitler is I'm doing, you know, what I'm doing because I hate Jews. Mm-hmm. There's the, the pre war here right, Hitler right. where it was he was trying to charm people to power. That's how I describe Grindelwald, whereas Voldemort is out of the closet Hitler. Which, actually, I want to take that back. I don't say out of the closet because I'm thinking gay, but, you know, he's 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 there and present as his true self. Um, he put on a show. In yeah, he was the, putting like, on a yeah, show. Yeah. Facade. Yeah. He's yeah. putting on a facade right now, but his true motivations are indeed dark. Right. Right. Um, and, and so, but he's got to put on this facade to bring in his followers initially people like yeah. queenie who are not going to go to his side if he's just like i want to kill all nomages i mean dumbledore was part of that movement originally too he and dumbledore came up with the for the greater good idea of wow. Dark. Yeah. yeah which is partly why dumbledore kept so much of his past secret from harry later on because he was ashamed he was of ashamed of interesting yeah. interesting i didn't know that yeah um we what was just to sum up for people that are listening and yeah. haven't heard that. What were our thoughts on Fantastic Beasts? You remember mine and yours? So I was probably the more sour one on the first one because like I mean I, I liked working. Yeah, okay. He, he rags on me still to this day that we saw about both the of these together. The yeah, at the very end, the um, what was it, the bird or something? At the like, I was it's just like a like, phoenix like, that it was a that, phoenix that, that drops came at the end, and also like. I mean, I forgetty like, juice, forgetty juice. It was one of those. I liked the main trio of characters, but. I, I mean, and again, looking at as just a the first one, movie. look at the first one as a standalone, like, to me, Ezra Miller's character made no sense in the movie. He was just there and out of nowhere, and I couldn't follow his plot. The whole third act was kind of a mess, and so I liked the world building, and I liked the characters fine, but overall, I was just like, eh. Like, well, I'll man. tell you, my take um, of that whole movie was that that entire plot about Ezra Miller, his, Miller, his sister, and that matriarch woman yeah, yeah. i think the whole thing should have been excised like the tumor that it is it is unpleasant to look at yeah. it is 
not making any intelligent, interesting point. It's not really that dramatically significant in the overall scheme of things, and it's just fucking unpleasant. Yeah, I hate that whole part. Yeah, and then by extension, (laughs) I don't really like Ezra Miller um, in general because of the way he was introduced to me. Just this dour, sour puss, and he's still that way. He's still my least favorite part. He's very human now. At least that. He's yeah. gotten better, but I still he's my least favorite part. But you can it's go watch him as Barry Allen. <sighs> I just don't. That's the thing. Like I have a weird thing. There's certain <laughs> actors like that I just Ezra don't Miller. like. Ezra Miller. I, I don't like him as Flash. Really, I don't like him in this role. Now there could be a role that changes my mind on that, but I just there's something about him that just <laughs> off puts me. So take everything I say about Ezra Miller with a little pinch of salt because I'm a little salty on that dude. But um, but anyway. So okay. So yeah, I, I would say that yeah. my, my thoughts were pretty similar. Um, I liked it a little more. I think what I the way I enjoyed it was just to take it as I love Harry Potter, right? Yeah, I oh, love yeah, this yeah, world, yeah. and it exactly. it, it washes good feelings over me. It was to be. a nostalgia pandering, like it was. It was about you know. Yeah. I want to see this return. I want to return to this universe as as a, an adult. And, and these feelings that. that you have, and see, it is still David Yates directing, yeah. and it's still that sure. vibe. What do adult wizards do? That said, a lot of the things that I love aesthetically, and I'm a big Anglophile, as everyone who listens to this show knows, I love, like, England and castles and moss and ivy and villages and all that kind of stuff that was prevalent in the first uh, Harry Potter series and the movies. And in this, it's very different aesthetics. The aesthetics have drastically changed. It's much more like brick walls and and dark skies it's art deco and, and art deco Howie. yeah well said well said <laughs> and that, owies, all yes that. Yeah. a lot of that look and I, and the, even the color palette I don't like as much as I yeah. like the Harry Potter color palette so aesthetically it, it lost me on that score if it had had more of the warm greens and blues that I remember from Harry Potter sure. and reds and all that kind of stuff then I would have liked it more from that aesthetic perspective but just the fact that it's just the, the name Scamander the beasts themselves <laughs> the, the, the stuff in this world is just it washes over you like yes I love this shit you know so I think from that perspective I liked it but sure. as a movie and as a plot I also love what's his name um, what's the Jacob Ch- K- yeah. yeah I mean how do you I not love like, that guy? I don't think anyone doesn't like him yeah. your namesake yeah. bud yeah yeah. he's and awesome he was just as entertaining and he gets a one. really good yeah. treatment in the second movie I always felt I like so he was too. sidelined in the first movie as, as just a comedic plot point right I and so I really too. like how they so. developed him and, and what, in, what inspired casting to pick him right what an odd Probably choice. He's silly. He's he, he looks like a silly old time New Yorker. I guess so. He got really lucky that he's also a great actor. He's yeah. also a guy that's like a huge geek in real life and has written a graphic novel and stuff too. So I'm awesome. just like, yeah, love, like, that like, love that dude. Love that dude. All right, so I think we got a good foundation laid. Let's talk about Fantastic Beasts too. Um, tell me, what are you guys' thoughts? Uh, let me go first, yeah, because you're, you're gonna have super <laughs> in depth. So, but like, um, okay, so well, first of all, we saw an advanced screening because I got it. Uh, email from the Alamos and they were doing one and you know victory members can request those so I was like I didn't even ask I was like I bought them and was like and they had you know the um the Potter they had like foods that were Harry Potter themes like butter beer and stuff poster. like that right poster and all that so I knew regardless it was gonna be a fun experience yeah, right. I mean and um and overall I mean and going into like I mean I have like huge expectations like I, I try not to say like do I but I would generally I was more excited about it than I was the first one because it had more elements that I was interested in. So it had Grindelwald, it had Young Dumbledore, it had a more, like, I liked the idea of a more darker storyline that connected more to the Harry Potter universe. And so I, Definitely from there... all those things. Right, so from off the bat, I was more interested in it than I was, you know, the Fantastic Beast movie, you know? And so, um, and overall, I really enjoyed it. It was, like, one of those, like, 
from start to finish, I had a great time. Like, I mean, I was, um, it was one of those where I didn't follow it the whole time and I had to ask him for like backstories to better understand the plot on the way back. And that did help tremendously. But even though it was like from, like from a critical angle, I was like, yeah, this is kind of disjointed and there are a lot of, you know, plot lines going on at once and stuff. I just enjoyed the movie and the experience as a whole. So like, I like, and it made me, and regardless of like what people think of the twist and stuff at the end, it made me want to continue the series. Whereas it made a case, it, it right. made a case for why the next three should exist. Exactly. Whereas like before I was like, do we really need five movies in this franchise? Um, in this particular one, it's like the Avatar franchise part two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can see a specific movie for each thing that needs to happen next. Sure. So So I, you know, and and I by the end, make sure you tell us that. By the way, I also your your layout. I like the new characters a lot. I mean, Theseus was kind of bland, but but I liked Lita a lot, and I think she she was a big point of. And I also came to like Credence more in this one, much more than I did in the first one. He had, I mean. He's not, like, a super compelling character on his own, but his storyline was much more interesting here, whereas, like, I didn't see any relevance for it in the first one. Now, again, like Jacob was saying earlier, this one helped put a lot of things that I didn't like about the first one into context, and, again, laid the foundation for more to come. So by the end of the... uh, By the time the credits rolled, I was like, yeah, I want to see the next one. And I I mean... Cool. Jacob. Uh, So I generally try to have no expectations for movies when I go see them. Um, and That's do a challenge. That, I religiously avoid trailers, teasers, okay. and fair. people talking about it around me. Uh, and also, I've just gotten really good at just going in. Like, I genuinely do that. And the theory behind that, just randomly, was some of my f- favorite movie-going experiences were uh-huh. when Kevin was just like, hey, want to go see, like, yeah. what was it, The Edge of... Tomorrow. But, no, Edge of 17. Or Edge of 13. Oh, yeah. Edge of 17, yeah, yeah, yeah. Edge of yeah, 17, yeah. never heard of about it. it. Yeah. Go in, loved it. Right. And it's because it's a blank slate. You're being, pre- it's, it's kind of like art, right? These are artists, and you're being presented with it, so. I am really that. surprised that you don't listen to the podcast more religiously, because a couple of the things you said are, like, things that I literally have said multiple times. Okay, yeah. Two concepts in particular. One is the blank sheet theory I always talk about and that is I use it in a different context the artist and the blank sheet mm-hmm. my my context is usually um, when I think about creating stuff and when I evaluate stuff I think somebody sat at a computer with a blank page and a little blinking thing and had to take that and make mm-hmm. this because the challenge when you write and we all know this from writing ourselves is that there's a million options and you have to choose and hone in and pick the options Mm -hmm. you want and they have to be the right choices to make a compelling story so I'm always fascinated by that and I get your blank sheet theory is a little different um, but but essentially these are artists presenting us with something and we should go in there and give them the respect for I mean they put time effort and from their perspective this is what they you know their presentation right they're ready to show it so at, after that is whenever I start letting my expectation color, like, oh, that was interesting. I enjoyed it, but how does it fit in with what I like? So that's a different that's a different conversation, right? Yeah, it's a different that's, conversation. That's a, that's, so, it becomes contextualized yeah. later. So in general, I tend to like things regard like that other people hate. For example, at the end of Fantastic Beast one, most Potterheads hated it. A lot of people are having problems with this. I'm fine with a lot of those things, and that's because I'm like. I had fun watching it. At the end of the day, I go to see a movie for enjoyment. Right. Did I enjoy it? Then I can be like, okay, well, what you know, what could have been improved? There's right? a great conversation to be had around that, and Kevin and I experienced <laughs> this firsthand, which was um, 
Star Wars 8. Yeah. Um, this is a movie that is way, way better uh, the first time you see it than it's ever going to mm-hmm. be after that, and it's ever going to be once you spend a little more time thinking about its implications. That movie is phenomenal as a sit-down-and-watch-it experience. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, a lot of people, even you a little bit, liked it a bit less once you started thinking about what this means, what the implications are, how it, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, and so for, for me, I'm I'm very in agreement with you on that, on that idea, though, of... No, nothing can take away the fact that I spent two and a half hours in bliss at yeah. that movie. So it's a sure. balancing act. But you're right then. Even you, and we all do it, later you you add it into the mix mm-hmm. of what you like and whether you want to see more. And, and, and that's right? why I wish this had a book to go along with it. Not a screenplay, but an actual yeah, yeah. full novelization. And I Maybe even before, because that's the best part of the books is they are fully fleshed out but if you take the movie the original harry potter movie is a standalone they're somewhat of a mess um, but, I but, you're, that. Plot yeah. wise. but very few people saw them without having read the books so right they, they, they're, they're companion right. Right. but right. if you like just sat someone down and you asked them to watch this one they're going to notice every time that the director changed oh yeah point. very drastic yeah. second they're going to notice like this is really silly stuff going on here but in the and they'll ask questions like well take the fourth book for example barty crouch jr his whole thing in the movie there's literally a large chunk of story missing they actually rewrote the plot of barty crouch jr for the movie and it's completely different than what happened in the book um and it's much more coherent in the book the movie leaves you asking you could plot plot sorry clarify you could poke holes in the movies all day long but the books are fairly rock solid minus a few things so i would like to see a book version of this whole grindelwald thing because i think jk rowling could sit down and then she doesn't have you know production decisions directors all that thing just and have have to keep it within the confines of a two-hour movie or two all keeping it within right so it could be fully fleshed out the way we want to see it that i would like to see but never will right never will but as the movie itself i think it did a good job extending the first movie given the context like i already discussed and second and and we can go into this later i think it actually was the every scene was relevant to what i think was going on behind the scenes so what i think actually happened and and as a summary i i don't think that he is actually a dumbledore at all I, don't I think, think it's he. I think he. Yeah. It's actually physically impossible. He may be a cousin, at right. the very most, um, distant cousin. But I think he's the equivalent of Ray from Star Wars. He's just you know some very powerful figure that happened to be in the spotlight, and then I think it's Grindelwald lying to put this context of being a Dumbledore. But the on problem him. with that is I've seen a lot of people come out with similar theories and ideas of that, and they all say that if that turns out to be the case, and again maybe that maybe well I'll just say it. If that turns out to be the case, then that makes the ending of Fantastic Beasts 2 garbage. I already Trash. know. And that's because I have a... There, there, there's a whole thing I want about you want to hear. every scene yeah. in the movie was important. And it all comes down to that scene whenever Credence enters the circle of fire at the end with Grindelwald. He says, this has all been for you. I take that actually literally. Having seen it the second time, I watched specifically... So this was all like an elaborate stage show? Every scene for his benefit. was his manipulation of Credence. Because here's the, because of the blood pack that they made. Well, we, we can get like, to it later, but okay, yeah. the, the, that, that's the summary of it. Okay, and cool. from my All perspective, right, we'll the yeah. movie had very good pacing in that sense. And every relationship, people are, are trashing on Lita, 
her whole thing, her whole introduction to Corvus. Like, what was what the hell was this random introduction of Lita and then Corvus and this confusing family tree plot? And I'm like, it was to manipulate Credence. Okay. It was to make so, him. So, yeah. so again, if you're going to talk about that, we got to really talk right, about that. Right. So let's get to that. Yeah. Minute, so, but okay, so, so for me, I really enjoyed it in that sense. It was the most lore um, ridden, lore heavy, yeah, lore yeah, heavy yeah. movie since the Deathly Hallows, and even before then, because the the early Harry Potter books have almost no lore in them. They're just fun adventure stories fun that, adventure that, stories. that build out cool yeah, characters, so right? I loved it. Awesome, awesome. So I will say <laughs> my experience with Fantastic Beasts Two was was less positive. Um, and I don't know if it was the mood I was in. The other thing I was going to mention earlier about expectations are big for me, hugely. And I need to get more to the zen-like way you sounds like you've achieved because I'm not there. <laughs> I, I would love to be. But I'm very much like I go in there with these expectations. And it is very true in almost every case that when I have low expectations, the movie's better. Almost always. Better than I thought it was going to be, of mm-hmm. course. But also maybe better than I would have liked it had I had, you know, like literally my, my organic you know, core level enjoyment of the movie can drastically change, I've learned. Well, it's confirmation bias. Right. Right. It's confirmation bias, but it's also just sheerly... uh, Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know. It's just just that I'm so happily surprised, and that happiness, you know, because we're humans with emotions that wash over us. And if you're feeling happily surprised, then the stuff that you're watching is going to be tinged mm-hmm. with. When I saw that, I was happy. You know, or, or something. It's yeah. a complex chemical thing I could go oh, into. Yeah. But the point is, going in there with less expectations is almost always a good idea. Um, I went into this with, with medium to high expectations only because, you know, it's got Johnny Depp in it. It's got Jude Law in it. It's going to be like this big... It's, it's a lot more... You know, I'd heard it's going to be a lot more like... A Harry Potter story, and and it's just there was going to be so much more to it. Um, low expectations in the sense that I'm not that excited to watch Newt fuck around with a bunch of monsters anymore. <laughs> I'm just not that pumped for that. Um, I, I him doing mating dances is really funny, but like I'm over it. Um, and so that that part of it is is kind of what well, wasn't excited about. But as I watched the movie, unfortunately, and it could again, it could have been my mood, it could have been my temperament at the time. I wasn't having a great time. Who did you see it with? Uh, my my friend uh, Melissa. Gotcha. And so it wasn't it, it. I think it wasn't until the last forty five minutes that I was having a blast. Once the last forty five minutes kicked in, I was having a great time. And I think a lot of that is owing to Johnny Depp. And I think a lot of that is owing to I really liked the big lore heavy stuff a lot. I liked like oh wait oh what's this person saying what are they meaning wait a minute is this all oh wait like I was engaged mentally at that point the first hour and a half of the movie I was like why the fuck am I at a circus sorry for my language but I'm feeling strong (laughs) about this like why is Credence chilling at the circus why is Credence this super powerful dude like beholden to this and I'm sure you'll have a reason to tell me but beholden to this circus master and and like why is he even there and I know why he's there to do research but why is he behaving like he is when he's there and why is it a circus at all and then you know also this 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 spy hunter or this mage hunter dude and why he comes in. Yeah, I get that it's a surprise when you find out why he was really there and, and all of that, and that's interesting. But at the time, I was like, this is this looks like three different scenes that I saw in Fantastic Beasts 1 where there's this Art Deco style being blown apart to smithereens. I feel like I've seen that shot of that building being exploded like at least four times across two movies. So a lot of that stuff, I was just like, Ugh, you know, just just 
dulled to it by by a lot of of just the same old same old stuff but once the movie kicked into gear and even the Dumbledore meeting on the bridge I wasn't that pumped for but that last 45 minutes starting with when they get to that room and they start to look at like the family tree growing up and all that stuff all of a sudden I was like edge of my seat Mm -hmm. riveted and it the last 45 minutes I was loved um, so it was you a very, like the opening scene though the escape from I I did but I don't yeah it was good it was okay, good but yeah, I just, that was still probably one of my favorite moments it was like, really yeah, good yeah, 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 yeah it was definitely really good um, well I think that's a good way to I, I think I, they needed, just from a technical down. perspective they really they needed to turn down the well. lightning though it almost made me that's kind of a seizure yeah. <laughs> yeah. so, so, yeah. so why don't we go through it a little bit um, now, that's a good way to say it so it starts out with this this great chase Grindelwald's escape from prison and yeah, it does this elaborate. Um, it that scene's kind of reminded me of you know the first fight in Deathly Hallows when um, they're trying to get Harry to the um, Weasley house and they have like a fight in the sky. It reminded me of that, but on a more intimate level. Um, it, it was, was the cool. the big magic duel that we were missing in, right in the first movie. Right, 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 absolutely. Like, so, you got to see how genius Grindelwald is. Right, right, right. And how powerful he is, because you'll notice he never uttered a word. That's, yeah. That was all, that yeah, was all, yeah, that was so all sorry. silent magic. That's right. Hey, by the way, that I still have this question you just reminded me. So his tongue never was removed. That was a lie? His tongue was removed. He can just talk without it? Because uh, I saw his tongue no, he, later. No, he got it back. That that was part of the, the, the prison scene. How did he get it back? Or maybe not. I don't know that that that's actually raises a good question. I have to go back and look specifically yeah. at the order of events. But he did all of that silent, and I think the because I thought I was supposed to think he doesn't have his tongue. Well, it, that's it, why it depends on if the the spell that was put on him ended whenever the uh, the British feuds won. Oh, so they removed his tongue magically? It, yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Because um, I was thinking his tongue was gone. I was like, fuck, is this going to be a silent depth performance? That's literally what I was thinking at that I moment. I mean, still, I like, regardless, it, it, it showed off how powerful he is. Right, oh, right, God, right. man, he's he so good. I, and that was another thing that I was really looking for. I know you're talking about the character now, but it was something I was looking for in this movie was I've read this phenomenal piece in Rolling Stone talking about, like, where Johnny Depp is in his life right now. We all know he's it, it's kind of in tatters. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know watching this movie. Like, he, his performance was as solid. Oh, it wasn't even a Johnny Depp performance. Typical one. Like, he was very conserved. I think he typically plays really eccentric characters. Yeah, he was very reserved. He kept to, you know, this point of seriousness that... I mean, Edward Scissorhands, other... though. I mean, like, there are roles. Okay, well, He's yeah. got range. I mean, recently. Yeah, yeah very much like, so. It's not... Pirates it's of not, the Caribbean. Yeah, it's not Jack Sparrow. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That's very, those are that's really good points. The the um, the one... Um, the, the barber... Oh, oh um, Swain Todd. Yeah, 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 all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, You're yeah, right. Yeah. He's eccentric. And this, he was a very understated but powerful performance. Yeah. And it was a lot in he his face. He handled the role very well. Yeah. Um. So I just think, I mean, it's really a return to form for Depp. I don't know if he'll ever get the credit back that he had, but he really nailed it. Um. And that scene is a real good demonstration of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that happens. So that got, and then from there, I remember it we says meet, three um, months later in London, Newt Scamander. I'm going to try to keep it. Go ahead. I, I want you yeah, to it. Three I'm months not, later. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, three months later in London, Newt Scamander is appealing to the Ministry of Magic to get his travel rights back. Um, he meet, and by the way, this is all coming from Wikipedia for attribution. Um, <laughs> while at the Ministry, meets with Lita Lestrange, an old Hogwarts classmate now engaged to his aura brother Theseus. Now, at this point, I was wondering. So there's a picture of him with Lita, right? They mm-hmm. were they involved. What's the deal there? They there was an unspoken romance yeah. between them. Okay. And school. Okay. 
that was what that scene later was about. Okay, yeah. but that never was consummated, and therefore, yeah. and then his brother. So that's sort of like an unrequited. So I thought that was a little at odds because there was both that, and there's him and the other girl. That right. was like their conflicting romances. Right, and that that was part of it. Like in the first movie, he even mentions to Tina like that he had been in love with a girl previously at school, and um, that never went anywhere. So he was like hurt by that. Okay. And in this, so there's the unspoken, unrequited thing between them. At this point, I don't think they actually would act on it, but it's kind of like... It's one of those things. You've all been there, you know? Oh, yeah. Yes. You've both acknowledged that there was a thing. It never led anywhere. True love never truly goes away. Right. You may not act on it ever, but you'll always feel something special, so... That's what that was. Okay, got it. But that, but then why does he? Okay, so so the, him having the picture in his case and all that. That's okay. well, he has the picture of Tina. In what was case. the What was the picture earlier? Uh, Tina he, was looking at the picture of him. Leading. There was a newspaper was a story newspaper that uh, they oh, okay. that I, they got it mixed up but and it falsified the, a lot. But only them. picture in the case has ever been Tina. It's Tina. Oh, okay. Okay, I didn't know that. I thought that was Lita. That confused me. In the original one, I think it was Lita. Okay, so that's the way they sort of. Okay, interesting. All right, so that. All right, so then that happens. That's when we get introduced to the the, the sort of the, some of the big players in this, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where we get Theseus introduced. That's where Lita is introduced, um, and then it says it's suspected that Credence is Lita's long lost brother, Corvus Lestrange, the last of a long line of pure blood wizards. Um, Grindelwald believes Credence is the only person who can kill his living equal, Hogwarts Professor Albus Dumbledore. When Newt declines, not wanting to choose sides, the Auror Grimson is dispatched in his place. After leaving the Ministry, Newt is summoned by Dumbledore, persuades him to locate Creedence. So that's sort of where we are in this. Um, what do you guys think about all of that stuff? Is that pretty successful, that part of the movie? It was I, fine. It was, that was more just kind set of up. standard expectation. Yeah. And I argue it sets up the most important part of the story. Wait, which which we'll get theory. to. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Um, New, and by the way, point out little things and say remember that if you want us to. For later. Okay. okay. Um, it says, Newt returns home to discover his American friends, Queenie Goldstein and Jacob Kowalski, have unexpectedly arrived. Now, this scene was weird. It um, was very... It threw me off. It threw me yeah, off yeah, big yeah. time. Because I think a reintroduction to such an important character like that, like Jacob, shouldn't have happened under the influence of a weird spell. For us to be reintroduced to him, I wish I'd been done like normal Jacob. I think that was a mistake. That's me. But... The way it was done is important. Yeah, I, I was looking back. It it threw me off at the time, and then put it in the context. Of, looking back, yeah, it was yeah, it was one that threw me off initially watching it. But then now, because that was one of the first questions I asked him about the end was about Queenie, which we'll get to as later on. The, um, She's but, important. Yeah. Okay, so Queen, so Queenie, and then arrived. Jacob has retained most of his memories from the twenty six events in New York City, as the Makuza citywide officer, uh, obliviation order only erased Muggles' bad memories, while Jacob's were mostly good. That's, that part I do have issue with. That's a little hazy, a, man. That's hazy. Uh, I think they could have gone about it a different way, but yeah, like like for example, just uh, she undid the spell. She's right. got magic. It's I'll not, just say, ultimately, in... it's not important. To, I mean, it's even established that they can remove obliviations. Um, Hermione said that she would go back after the events of after Voldemort was defeated and remove the. Uh, the obliviation she did to her parents. So perfect. So right. there's a retcon build, and I disagreed with how they went about it, but it's ultimately not important to the story, so I forgive it. Right. I'll just say in general, Queenie's arc threw me off while watching it, but then talking about it with him afterwards. If he's right, made it more let's not make this whole episode. We assume Jacob absolutely. Well, no, no, is no, right no, about no, this. no, I know. Even if I I'm just wrong, mean, like, yeah, it, right. it sets up the context of her. As eventually falling in line with Grindelwald. Oh okay. yeah, yeah, I see. That's it's what important right, to right. her okay. character arc. Okay, right. got it. 
Okay, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that is interesting because she's willing to go there. You mean and well, he didn't want. So think about the, the conflict. They oh, had, right, right, right. The rules of what she the, wanted to right. marry him, but they couldn't do it in the U.S. So they needed to go to London, but he wouldn't go of his own volition. So it sets that up. So she enchanted him, and the only place that Queenie needed to go in London was Newt's. Oh, I remember what I wanted to mention to you guys. I'm sorry, just backtracking a little right. bit. The part about the two of them on the bridge. What an amazingly ludicrous retcon it was. Bridge. When they were at the bridge, Dumbledore and Newt at the bridge. When when Dumbledore is convincing Newt to go do this quest, yeah, yeah. and Dum- and Newt says, "You were the one who caused all the events of Fantastic Beast One, weren't you?" When he says, "You knew if you gave me that magical creature, I'd have to return it to Arizona, which in turn brought me back to America." Because you knew I'd run into such yeah. and such person. Yeah. yeah. What a ridiculous. So it gave you context, though. I, it was great. It was great, and I'll tell you what's great about it. My number one complaint about Fantastic Beast One, and I said this, I'm flashing back to it. I said this when we saw it. Was why this entire movie stems on. Oops, my monsters got loose. In oh New shit. York City. Right. Oh places. no. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And how yeah. ludicrous that is. That it's like, oh, he's just going to take this big barrel. So now there's a reason that it happened, thank yeah. God, because that as a as a motivating event or an instigating event annoyed the hell out of why me. Why did he go through New York in the first place? Right. Like. And bring all these dangerous monsters <laughs> yeah. and why did they have to escape? Oh, so the movie happens. It was the thinnest premise ever. Thank God there's, like, a reason now. And it's pretty plausible. Mm-hmm. Pretty plausible that yeah. that he would have given him that beast knowing about his heart and how big it was, that he'd have to bring it to its environment, his, you know... So he would have to go through New York. Right. And then... The, the, the dubious part is still that it would escape. Right. It's dubious, but at least... But at it least... gave him a reason for being there in the first place, and his goal was just to get him to North America with the hopes of him running the Credence, but... After reading the DC Rebirth one-shot in 2016, which retconned five years of storytelling, <laughs> I'm just like, nothing can top that, so, yeah. It's it just, skills, yeah, man. Yeah, it's skills yeah, to yeah, pay the bills. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, uh, bad memories while Jacobs are mostly good. Queenie tells Newt that she and Jacob have followed her sister, Tina, to, to Europe. Tina is searching for Credence in Paris. Queenie also... Excuse me. Queenie also reveals that Tina believes Newt is betrothed to Lita Lestrange. After reading an engagement announcement in the newspaper, Newt explains the article confused him with Theseus. After Jacob and Queenie quarrel about the marriage ban between wizards and muggles, like you mentioned, setting that conflict up, an upset Queenie leaves to find Tina. Newt and Jacob follow the girls to Paris. Now, this is where Queenie sort of falls under the thrall of... This is Yeah, it opens up her vulnerability. All Grindelwald has to do is identify what she wants because that's what the best and manipulators do and then it becomes do. the question of why does he want Queenie so bad right he goes after her personally and that, that goes into part of my theory so okay, remember cool. that interesting we'll remember yeah. that excellent okay um, so in Paris um, Tina searches for Credence at a wizarding freak show in the Circus Arcanus now here's where I'm just like what is going on <laughs> why are they at this stupid wizarding freak show but anyway uh, Credence and another circus attraction a young woman named Nagini who can transform into a snake escape after causing a distraction during the show while searching for why should they even have to anyway while searching for Credence's birth mother he and Nagini find the servant who put him up for adoption however Grimson who's revealed to be working for Grindelwald arrives and kills her meanwhile Tina meets Yusuf Kama um, who is also hunting Credence Newt and Jacob, I thought that whole plot was like just distracting. Newt and Jacob follow Yusuf to Tina, and, T- and Yusuf explains that he made an unbreakable vow to kill Credence, whom he believes is his stepbrother and the last of the Lestrange family. So let's let's sort of unpack as much as I hate that word, that part. So why is Credence at this at circus? At the circus? 
Yeah. Uh, so it comes down to me, at least the way it makes sense, because I was confused too. I was like, did he just get kidnapped? He's an obscurus. He can do what he wants, basically. Right. Uh, and it comes down to, at the end of the the first movie, he's basically poor, right? And he's trying to hide because at this point he's recognized that he can't be out in public. What's the easiest way to and people travel? Think he's dead at this and point. people think he's dead, yeah. right? So what's the easiest way to travel unbeknownst across Europe looking for your birth mother? Because that's what he wanted to do. Is he wanted to find out who his real birth, okay. mother, who his real family was, and the the it comes down to the showman, the 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 ringleader. When asked, he's like. Look, these people are just... He was looking for his family. These people have a hope that they could find family somewhere in Europe. So at this point, he's looking to be accepted. The only place he fits in is a is freak, a freak show. show. Because he's a freak of nature. And so he joins that. And then he's like, this is a way for me to get to France. And he starts tracking down his birth family. I'll tell you a better way to get to France. Use your magic. Well, there, there are magic barriers that just prevent you from... Um, Oh. Disapparate. Yeah, that's it's unspoken, but it's in Pottermore. Like, for example, you know, it said Newt couldn't leave the country officially. What's stopping him? And they that's had why to, he had to go to, to that portal. Port yeah. Oh. They're, 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 it's, it's, it's very restrictive magic on doing that. Um, either that, they have detectors that can detect when people okay. disappear. Okay, so I'm buying there, it. There, there, right. there are mechanisms in place to suggest. Like, we already know that you, it's forbidden to disappear, to apparate into and out of that's Hogwarts. That's smart. Right. Yeah. So why not apply that to country borders? That's that's interesting. Because otherwise, yeah. you could just have an entire country's worth of wizards just teleport into your country and take it over immediately. So that's so to, to keep some kind of control against you know mm-hmm. people like Grindelwald rising up. Right. They got to have some rules, and so they're okay. Yeah. So he needs an excuse to get around, and then this is a way he gets like food and. And there's like and it's like a passport to travel legitimately yeah. because this guy has permit yeah. to travel his yeah. freaks. So it makes sense, and no one's going to look for. Someone who's not, someone who's dead in a circus, especially. Like, right, I'm, I'm right? meaningless. Okay, so then Nagini comes in. Now, here's where I'm really glad we have Jacob, and you might know some of this too, um, Kev. Well, uh, so Nagini is, of course, eventually becomes the snake that is in Vol- that Voldemort hangs out with. And what, actually, Voldemort puts a part of his soul in. Right? So, so how does that all cross. work? So that. she's a maledictus, which okay. means she has a blood curse, and as it states in the movie, her blood curse is to eventually permanently become a snake. Until that point, she can switch between the forms at will, but over time she'll lose the ability to become human again, and okay. she will be forced to become a snake. So the snake we always saw in all of the Harry Potter it's books her. was her. And and somebody had said somewhere that like this was a big reveal, that it was even a her, mm-hmm. but, but Rowling in this case has put down her foot and said she was always a she. It makes sense to me. Okay. Because think this snake was really smart all the time. Mm-hmm. Like in the, in the like, books. Like it even pretended thought, to be a human, like Kevin had mentioned to me earlier, like yes. the Batilda backshot scene. In Deathly Hallows when Hermione and Harry go to Godric's Hollow, um, they're looking for Horcruxes on it. They go back there. She disguises herself as Batilda Backshot, who she was like who what was her place related to Grindelwald? Like, um, Backshot, she was... Backshot, well, she... Well, she knew Dumbledore well, but she wrote uh, History of Magic. That's right, okay, okay. So they... Uh, and then she attacks them in that scene. So, like, mm. um... And so, to me, I mean, I saw... She realistically before, pulls off being a human for a solid long time, tricking Harry and Hermione into thinking that she is indeed a person. Oh. How could a snake do that? Because even before the mo- this movie came out, <laughs> wow. there was a ton of contrast when they... Cause this reveal came out in like the third trailer. They said, "Oh, they just say Nagini when they're looking at the woman." 
and I like I initially thought, oh, that's pretty cool that like she was once a human. There was this ton of outrage on mm-hmm. social media and all that. With people like, that's just ridiculous. What a retcon. This is so stupid. And a lot blah, of people blah, blah. are actually mad because they think that it's her way of inserting diversity retroactively into the series. Right. But it turns out she was an Asian woman the whole time. Right. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, I understand why people, that, which is, that is just yeah. really lame. Yeah. Like, you know, the whole movie is full of all kinds of retcons and changes. So if she wants to use one of those for diversity, bring diversity to her film, so be it. But honestly, that's a necessity part of expanding the universe in the past there are going to be retcons things that weren't previously known that are now right. and they are made up because it's a fictional world but what I'm saying is uh, th- going along with that yeah. if there's 10 retcons if she wants one of those retcons to be a diversity inclusion so what? you know what I mean? what's your problem? I mean, think about the name Nagini there's not going to be a British or American person in name. Not even right. like French. It's not a European name. It's yeah. a cool name. Is what it's it a is. cool name, yeah, awesome. and it always elicited pictures of like Asia or even Amazon for me. Right. So it fits. Yeah. No. No. It's yeah. I mean, I'm sure she does things for for plot reasons first and foremost. I'll say as outspoken, and I wish she wasn't. Not because of my political views or not, but just because I hate that I have to like have the two worlds collide. You know, I, like the real world and the magical mm-hmm. world. When she comes online and talks about political issues, I'm like, oh, I just want it to be Harry Potter. I know that's not fair of me, but that's like what yeah. I want. But. She, the fact that she's always talking about politics online, she does keep it very separate from her work. Because I am a huge fan of the Cormorant Strike novels. I don't know if you've read them. They're phenomenal. I'm reading the third one right now. And she is very non-annoyingly PC in that. She mm-hmm. does not do any annoying PC. Like, like she'll have a character who's a chauvinist and he can even still be a hero. You know, just, just because he has this chauvinist quality doesn't make him a monster all of a sudden. And, and... She's willing to craft real characters, even if they and and give them you know heroic properties and negative properties. I mean, it speaks to your skill as a writer if yeah. you can write outside yeah. your beliefs. Right, exactly. I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like, yeah, and she make, has a lot of strength. Especially if you want to make a good Fair. villain, you have to naturally be able to do that because no Fair. villain from their perspective is a bad guy. Right. Exactly, but that just gives me a lot of respect for her yeah. that her politics don't overtly come out in her books. Just because, and whatever you agree in politics, I just like it to be separate, personally. I agree, so, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, okay, so, um, let's see. Unbra- explains he made an unbreakable vow. Okay. Newton and Tina infiltrate the French Ministry of Magic for documents that can confirm Credence's identity. By the way, when Newton and Tina meet up, it's really well done and cute. They are really I cute. Was, yeah, I yeah. love them together. Mm-hmm. Um, that can confirm Credence's identity, but Lita and Theseus discover them. Newt and Tina reconcile after he explains he was never engaged to Lita. Their search for information about Credence leads them to the Lestrange family tomb at Père Lachaise Cemetery. Yusuf says that he and Lita have the same mother, and Lita reveals that she unintentionally killed her infant brother, and thus he cannot be Credence. There's a lot in this. However, a fabricated trail led Credence to the tomb, where Grindelwald is holding a rally for his followers. Jacob finds Queenie at the rally. Well, this is a really nice, concise explanation. Yeah, it is. They really, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is, like, a huge thing. And this is when the movie became great to me. At this moment is when I'm, like, having a great time, like, as a line of demarcation. So anyway, this, they get to this, um... Uh, tomb, I guess, at Père Lachaise Cemetery, which is going to be the place for the final showdown soon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about this scene. What what, do you, what are your thoughts on this whole scene? This is the most important scene in manipulating credence, um, out, even outside of my theory, mm-hmm. because it gives him... 
think about it. He's led to the, the tomb to think, like, I will find my heritage here. This is important to me. Like, I want to know once and for all, am I Corvus or am I someone else? And then the big reveal happens that Corvus was killed by Lita unintentionally, albeit, when she was really, really young. So I mean, she would have killed some... One person would have died either way. Either way, right. It's just that she happened to decide accidentally who died. Uh, yeah, well, it was very intentional. But she didn't know that's what she was doing. Um, so... He finds out he's not Corvus, so that leads into him being like, well, who the hell am I the child of, right? Grunewald teased this to me. Like, it was very important. And at this point, it is very important to him. He's traveled across all of yeah. Europe. He's well, been, he has nothing else. He, has nothing he doesn't else. know who to trust. Right. He's got no support system. He's been he's, hurt his entire life. Right, he's he completely also driftless. Has... A natural hatred toward muggles because of the way he was the, raised. Yeah, the way he was raised. And he watched his um, the caretaker woman that watched after him as he when he was an infant and gave him up for adoption, watched her get murdered in front of him. He is hurt right now, and he just wants to know who the hell he is. And then he thinks he's about to, and he, then, then never comes to fruition. So that's I think the most pivotal, which scene puts him in a very perfect position to for someone to step in to at that step moment. in at that moment and say, "Extremely vulnerable. I got Here's your who you are. I got your I've answers. got your answers. Here's the man I want you that that did this to you." Right. Go kill him. Right. But yeah, exactly. It's like the ultimate <laughs> it's the ultimate like brainwash. If there was ever mm-hmm. gonna be a brainwash. Sure. You know, what do they do in you know, certain in, in when they take hostages and they try to like get information from them, they deprive them of sleep, they put them through terrible mm-hmm. situations, they break them down as far as they can, and then offer them a helping hand. Yeah. And lift them up. And that's exactly what this scene it, it, it put him in the perfect spot so that all he had to do was go Watch the next scene. Okay. You can continue. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Set it so, up perfectly for this next scene. Okay. By the way, did you guys like that scene? I thought it was great. I liked With the it tree a lot. coming yeah. up and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Oh, yeah, that was cool. It was the best way to go about it without confusing people. Yeah, and put it the still tree confused out. people. And, yeah. and I love that tree visually. That mm-hmm. was so cool. It was. I yeah. love whenever I see trappings of the Wizarding World of how magic people use magic to do things that we do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they have this magic, which is awesome. The whole execution of that scene reminded me of like. Something Del Toro does a lot in like Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy, where he does flashback scene in the way he tells sort of like side stories that connect to the main storyline. He does that thing too, and it has like these. Um, and they did it similar interspersed thing too. scenes, interspersed come scenes, forth. and they did that in Deathly Hallows too when um, Luna's father explains to Harry, Hermione, and Ron the origins of the Deathly Hallows. And, interesting. And yeah. something just interesting about that tree I found, and that it's it's conflicting that. Uh, he mentions the, the Lestrange family tree only records the men, the, their faces and names, but it records the women as flowers, but it portrays them portray, like being recorded as flowers because they're beautiful and, you know, that type of Actually, thing. Actually, because it lets them have the mystery. But at the same time, <laughs> well, also at the same time, it's like, well, the women are unimportant in our family tree. Right. Their names and who they are didn't matter. All they matter. They're here for aesthetic but purposes. But we're going to play right? it off as they're pretty. They're pretty little flowers on our tree. So I found like that interesting... Yeah. It's like a conflicting view. Like, they're valued, it's, but they're not it's, valued. It's depth. It's depth. Mm-hmm. It's it's when you're writing a really good world. It's what, and, and it this fits really, with the Lestrange family perfectly. It's a great example. <laughs> yeah. It's a great yeah. example of what really good world builders do. Mm-hmm. And they create a world that has depth that can be evaluated. Yeah. So, like, this concept... All, she, all they did was they put a flower on there. Yeah. But from that, you can extrapolate all of this depth about how patriarchal their society yeah. is, what their motivations were, and how manipulative they could be. Yeah, it's very clever. It is. Yeah. It's really good world building. Okay. Um, at the rally, 
um, which has been being led to this whole time and built up. Um, Grindelwald preaches abolishing laws, forcing wizards to stay hidden from muggles, and utilizes future images of World War II to call for worldwide wizard supremacy and domination. Led by so he he's, he has uh, he can see the future. Is that the deal? Uh, he can see potential futures, but that was the most likely outcome. Okay. And he has that magical skull thing that he smoked and oh. the magic hookah, as I like to call it. Okay, all right. Led by Theseus, horrors surround the rally, but Grindel, Grindelwald. Um, turns his followers against them and sends them across Europe to spread his message. Um, so they all go up in smoke and they go to spread the message. But certain ones are still there, right? They no, they started to disapparate the the followers. He said, "Go from here." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was the basically the people who are left were the ones still questioning things and the R's. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, um, Grindelwald casts a circle of blue flame to divide followers from enemies. Credence and Queenie cross the line to join them. Join him, despite protests from Nagini and Jacob. Lita appears to also swear allegiance, but instead seemingly sacrifices herself by attacking Grindelwald, giving Newt, Tina, Yusuf... That's what it says. But she's straight up... No, okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, I think she did totally die. Yeah. Whatever. Giving Newt, Tina, Jacob... That's why I said it at the beginning. Yeah. This is Wikipedia. Yeah. You know, this is not... Apparently someone thinks she's still alive. Newt, Tina, Jacob. Well, I mean, they did it with Credence. Newt, Tina, Jacob, Yusuf, Nagini, and Theseus, time to escape. As Grindelwald bolts, the remaining heroes unite alongside the immortal alchemist Nicholas Flamel to defeat Grindelwald's blue flame and save Paris. They didn't talk about him earlier in this description, but they but do that visit was a him very appropriate fan service, and they nailed it. That's good. So that so there's one that they did kill. Yeah, like good. they they did good. Like he he fit perfectly. He he was a yeah, French alchemist yeah. Yeah. in Paris. Because when I saw him in the trailer, I was like, "It's an interesting one to bring in." But yeah. yeah, he he's so, trusted a Dumbledore. Yeah, so it makes sense. Right. It says Newt realizes he must join the fight against Grindelwald. Now I thought that. The execute now everything about this is fine, but I thought the execution of that line is one of the few things Red, Eddie Redmayne did not nail. Yeah. When he says that line to him, I chose the side. I was like, that that did not was not convincing. I don't think Sorry. that was originally part of it. I think that was just the director wanted to, you know like we yeah. need to have a solid moment. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a mistake. <laughs> I, think I think that was a mistake. I think it would have been better if they left it ambiguous and clearly he's chosen a side or show at one moment. Where, like, he, like, does, and then, you know, visually. It didn't need to be a verbal. It didn't need to be a verbal line, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, he chose his side, he not getting in the He just blue. said, like, I'm in. Right. He right. didn't have to, like, you know, right. go back to that moment. Or even said, or even I've made my decision. Not yeah. even chose my side. It just, it was just a well, callback so yeah. blatant. Yeah. It just was, un, it was unsubtle in a movie that's oh. pretty good at being subtle at times. So, anyway, I didn't like, I thought that line landed sure, on me sure. like a fucking rock. Well, also, it made it sound like he could have chosen Grindelwald's side. Right. Like, you didn't that's choose... such a strange choice of words. It's a really good yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that he's now involved, but there's nothing to be involved in. It's good and evil. It's not even, like, gray, yeah. you know? Anyway. Okay, last last scene. Newt and the others travel to Hogwarts, where Newt presents Dumbledore a vial containing the blood pact between Grindelwald and Dumbledore that Newt stole from Grindelwald. That was really cool that they had the little... That was the coolest use of the beasts. That, that was that a, a the best use of reason. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that had a plot reason yeah. to use like the Fantastic Beats trappings that were ragging on all this time. In this case, it shows why Newt makes a great hero because he can use these to his advantage. Well, he didn't even send the Niffler in. It did it of its own free will. I don't know about so that. So if you go no, if you go back and watch the second, he's sitting there watching, and it shows the Niffler sneak out of his suitcase. 
like it did in the first movie. No, but Newt I think Newt never that... sees it until at the very end when the Niffler comes walking up. He picks up the Niffler and he's like, wait, there's something in your pouch. He reaches in and pulls out the blood pack. I don't think so, man. I, I know you've Go seen it twice. Go back and watch it again. But, I don't, but, but even if he comes out of the case, how do you know the Niffler wasn't instructed? Newt this wasn't didn't... A, that this wasn't like a choreographed thing. Newt didn't know about the blood pack. No one knew about the blood pack except Dumbledore and uh, Grindelwald. Because even in the scene he presents it to him, he's like, hey, here's this thing. He really? Reco- yeah, he recognized it as a blood pact. And so he was like, you made a blood pact with him, didn't you? And Dumbledore says, yes. He's like, this is why you can't move it. See, I thought him. that was yes. just really strong exposition, just sticking it in my no, face. That that was completely unscripted. And that's why I think, even as much as I didn't like it, us getting introduced to the Niffler like we were, now we're desensitized to it. So we're just like, oh yeah, the Niffler took it. It, it seems completely natural. Yeah, it didn't seem like a huge it wasn't uh, like deus ex machina, right. like you would explain. It was just like, Because oh, we've been yeah. so inculcated or in, ingrained yeah. in the idea With that it, yeah. Nifflers steal shiny objects. No, so if you watch right. it again, look, you'll see I'll the Niffler sneaks out. Newt has no idea. I have to see that part of and it. it. The it, Niffler and, sneaking yeah. out, I believe he comes out of the case. But I thought that was like a choreographed, trained thing. He was yeah. trained. When this yeah. goes down, this is our plan from the beginning. No one knew about their blood pack. And and that's that. That's how he found out. Is he was like, "This is a blood pact," and then he was like, "And it was taken from Grindelwald." Is this mm. your? Did you make yeah. a blood pact with him? Uh, yeah, is that uh, why you can't move again? I, I have yeah. I have a very strong reason to believe you, but man, that is not how I saw it. Okay, interesting. All right, I'll have to look at it again. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, Newt and the others travel to Hogwarts. I think I already said this, but presents a vial containing the blood pact that Newt stole Grindelwald. The two wizards were once close friends in their youth. Newt surmises that this has prevented Dumbledore and Grindelwald from dueling each other. Dumbledore confirms this, but believes it may be possible to destroy the pact. At his Nurmengard base in Austria, Grindelwald uh, reveals Credence's true identity as Aurelius Dumbledore, Albus's long-lost brother, and the only person powerful enough to defeat him. Queenie uses her mind-reading ability to advise Grindelwald on ways to control Credence. A baby bird that Credence has been caring for, had been caring for is revealed to be a phoenix, a bird associated with the Dumbledore family. Um, the end. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, all right. So, so <laughs> what, what, what does it all mean? Let's have the theory. Okay, so the important part is we go back to where was... The, 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 the first scene of the movie and the three months later thing, that's not important. That, that was just him escaping prison, right? Okay. What does Grindelwald know at the start of the movie? Mm, at the start of the movie, what does he know? Mm-hmm. That he, about Credence. About Credence, specifically. He knows he's an Obscurus. Right. In fact, that's what he was hunting down in the first movie the entire time. He okay. knows he's looking for his identity. He, well, the important part is he knows an Obscurus, and Obscurus, Obscurials are the only thing that could defeat Dumbledore. And it, like, it's a powerful force, right? He wants to utilize it to move on Dumbledore. That's confirmed, okay. right? Okay. He needs to get away to get Credence to want to hurt Dumbledore, because Credence doesn't even know who Dumbledore is. Right. Right? So, this is the important part. First, he needs to track him down. So, he goes to Europe. He finds Credence is in Paris, and he surmises, like, hey... Credence is probably looking for his birth family in, in Paris. In fact, he confirms that when he sends in... Um, Grimm's daughter or whatever. Oh, the, no. the, the, I forget his name. I don't remember his name, but I know who you're talking Which about. Which person? Kuzma or... Bald dude, I don't know. No, like, the, uh... the, the, the black man in the hat. Oh! Um, Lead his brother. Not, yeah. He, not, not Lead his brother. It's not like Corvus. Nama Kuz, Kuzma something like or that. something I know like what you're that. talking about, though. But, yeah. 
He sends him in, and he eventually tracks him down to that circus tent, just like Tina does. Right. Right? So this is the information he has at this point, is that Credence is looking for his family. So the man, um, Lita's brother goes back and presents this to Grindelwald, and he's like, um, okay. And he essentially starts setting up a plan to get Credence to come to him. In fact, he says the path is being laid. Um, at this point, we know that the bald man that is sent to hunt Credence is actually working with Grindelwald. Right. Right. And he is under orders to, not to attack not to attack Credence, Credence, but to attack the caretaker the because caretaker. she has information. That I that that's what it seems like. I think instead, he wants him to attack him because he wants Credence to hurt even more. To be more disassociated from the world. To and be not, more disassociated. No, no yeah, touchstones. Like, okay. There are people after me. People actively trying to hurt me still. Okay. Right. And that's the best way to do that. And it also makes him mad. He was really pissed after that. Right. right. And most importantly, that man is associated with the ministry. So even if Credence found out who it was, he would associate the ministry with trying to kill him, right? So it estranges him from the Ministry of Magic. That's true. And who's associated with the Ministry of Magic by proxy? Dumbledore, even though he's not directly. He's kind of not that into what they're into, but nobody, but, but he wouldn't know that. Right. right. His, right. His, he knows nothing at this point. At that point, so that means that Grindelwald had set that up. Later, after fleeing from that room... Credence is found hiding in an attic by Nagini, right? Mm-hmm. And in that attic is where he finds the baby bird that they later find out is the phoenix. Oh, right, right. He just happens to Could have easily been planted, right. And on that same rooftop right outside is Grindelwald. He knows exactly where he is on that rooftop. He knew that he would retreat to that room or followed him, planted the baby phoenix. And this is where I, 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 this is why I think he's starting to manipulate Credence even from the beginning, right? Okay, all right. He just happens Plausible. To, right? It's possible. That's a, that's a jump, but I still think, at the very least, he's manipulating Credence. Right. Credence finds the baby phoenix, goes outside, meets Grindelwald. Grindelwald says, hey, if you want to find out the real truth, go to this Lestrange tomb. Right, which just so happens to be where I'm holding my rally. Right. And and By the way, it's Yusuf. Is it, it's is, Yusuf. Yeah, yeah, yeah Yusuf. Yeah. So, there's also rumors going around at this point that... Wait, I thought Yusuf was the guy who was the one who had the pact to kill the dude. No, Lita's half brother. Yeah, who yeah, had the he pact does. to kill. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and he thinks that Credence is Corvus. Okay. Right. Yeah. And there's rumors going around that he is Corvus. Right. Right, right from the very beginning of the movie. And right. even Credence has heard it at this point. So now Grindelwald needs to dispel any idea that he could be Corvus, right? Because he wants him to. I think Grindelwald's plan from the beginning is to trick Credence into thinking he is a, uh, a, a Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Right. And then giving him a reason to want to kill Dumbledore. Right. Right? Then he can just let him loose. Right. Right? And the job. So you got to perceive everything that happens in the movie as him. Careful orchestration. A careful, careful orchestration. So there's a scene that's not even followed up on where um, one of his henchmen, two of his henchmen, the, the lady who I think is actually one of, uh, is a Lestrange, and Abernathy. Right. The, the guy um, whose tongue got split in the beginning. Right. And so Abernathy and unnamed woman are shown sneaking into the French Ministry of Magic in an elevator. And then it cuts and doesn't show anything that they do there. The next scene it shows with them is planting this ornate golden box in the Lestrange family tomb. Oh. Uh-huh. And then later, whenever Newt and Tina go into the tomb and they're looking for... And Lita, like, you know... 
that whole scene where she calls the vault and she says Lestrange and it shows up there's a box missing and there's a letter in its place that says records have been moved to the Lestrange family tomb that sets up Lita showing up at the tomb where the box has been planted but Grindelwald has also directed Credence and Nagini to show up there and um, Yusuf shows up there too so he set up this meeting of everyone Lita's like, no, I know the truth. She opens up the family book. Just like he knew she'd know the truth, because he knew that. Yeah. He knew that that kid was... I don't know how he'd know that, but he does have special powers. Well, he has extremely good intelligence gathering. Um, So, sets up this meeting. Things get revealed. Credence finds out that he isn't Corvus, is pissed. And that is a fact. That is a fact. And now he knows for sure. He's like, well, who am I? That sets the stage perfectly for the reveal later. Now, step back to the Queenie thing, because Queenie is important in this too, and Wikipedia got at that. She was manipulated by Grundelwald directly into thinking that if he had his way, she could marry Jacob. Right. Right? So at that point when she joins him, he's essentially recognized, She know, he knows she's a telepath. He wants to use her to control Credence. What better way to control someone than to know how they are feeling at that moment, what they're thinking, to manipulate them. That's what that was when she was there saying he's he's tender. That's exactly. Be careful with him. He wanted to know the tact for how to, to manipulate Credence and he will use her in the future to do so. That okay. was masterful too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's <laughs> it's it's a little it's a little I mean, it's cool that that attaches, yeah. but it's a little light. Like he doesn't really need her. He's so fucking astute. Like, he knows the guy needed tenderness then. He doesn't need a telepath to tell Right, him I that. think they but underutilized still... her in that scene. She could have gone into depth. Yeah, like, that would have been a better... She could have more explicitly said, he, at this point, is feeling conflicted. He wants to know who he is and where he belongs. Um, and, like, I, they could have done more there, but they didn't. I think she's going to show up more in the next movie, doing even more stuff. Yeah. I wish I liked Queenie more. <laughs> I guess it's good that I don't like her, because yeah. she is evil now, or evil. Yeah, well, yeah. she could Unintentionally be helping. She could be redeemed later. Yeah. Her accent, though, man. Like, <laughs> like, my name's Queenie. She's from Queens. I'm from Queens. I'm Queenie. I'm a telepath. So, Jacob, baby. Think about all of these scenes that are working. Like, there are scenes that are shown early. Uh, that's the thing that really is convincing. It, the thing that's convincing is, about your argument is those two scenes mm-hmm. with the henchmen. That's the part of it I'm just like, there's no other explanation for that. And, is there, there? and I mean, because Rowling is not the kind of person that is going to, I mean, we may think from an outside, wow, that's just so out of place, all this stuff, but. If she's in charge of writing, she's not going to have throwaway scenes. Like, I mean, well, well of course not. But what I'm so, surprised is yeah. that Think the movie has the to... audacity to have scenes that are never followed up on at all and in a movie that's very blatant in many ways. Very importantly, right. think about how they found out the meeting was about to take place. There happened to be an entrance to that in the very room, in the tomb that they are standing, and it opens as soon as the reveal happens that he's not Corvus with no time to discuss ramifications or anything else so He's almost like so i'm not corvus then who am i door en- opens enter perfect wonderful moment to be manipulated grandly yeah so 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 and then the other thing that's interesting is it's, it's it means two things instead of one later when grindelwald says this has all been for you on one hand, he's saying that to make him feel special. But he's also saying it as a, like, in a gloating. Sn- in a gloating way. Yeah. In a secret gloating way. In I a think way that's... that's in line with his character. He was very arrogant. Right, right, and, right. And so that was he his downfall, to... is that he is very arrogant. Yeah. He assumes he knows everything, that he's in perfect control of the situation. But, he, but unbeknownst to him, while he was being so cocksure, a Niffler was stealing his power. Exactly. Interesting, so, interesting. So in the now... final reveal with the Phoenix... 
that's why I think the phoenix was planted. Either that, he recognized the phoenix chick and was like, oh, shoot, yeah, this is convenient. So either way, it's a convenience, or I think it was a clever plant. Because a phoenix happens to show up, like... Right where they knew this dude was going. Because he had he henchmen is, following. We know he's not a Dumbledore, at least not the brother of Albus. At the very most, he's a cousin. Because the way the timeline works out, Credence was born around 1901. Okay. His, Dumbledore's father died in Azkaban very early in his life. So around maybe it would have to have been in the 19, or 1880s. Okay. His mother died in 1890. Around 1894, I want to say. I think I did see that the father lived a little longer, but... Well, he was in Azkaban for life. There's no way he's... So there's no way he could have started a kid with the mother. And if the mother had an illegitimate child, she was dead before Credence was born. And even then, if she was that woman on the ship with the baby, she's a fucking wizard. Why didn't she survive? Right. Right? Right, right. So I I think he's actually just a muggle-born. There's Muggle-born wizards. Yeah, that that would be so powerful as to be an obscurity. Yeah, That's Hermione's of... Muggle-born. Yeah, and she's the Minister of Magic. Well, obscure. So obscurity was come about by um, magic or wizards repressing their magic to the point that it, it turns inward and becomes a dark parasitic. And force. which could very likely happen with a Muggle who doesn't know their magic. Well, or was once a Muggle, a Muggle-born. Well, he was punished by the adopted mother for having magic powers. So every he, he was repressing them actively, and I think so. He, you just think it's literally going to be I think Star he's no Wars one of con- Episode yeah, Eight. He's it's no literally- one of consequence. He's just uh, he was a he's it happens to be a powerful wizard that became an obscurus because of his background. Grindelwald tracked him down in New York because he heard there was an obscurus in New York, and then was like, "Oh, I found him. Now I need to recruit him." So that's what the entire first movie was about: was him trying to recruit Credence. Failed. Realized that he had messed up. And recognize Credence just wanted to be, you know, left alone ultimately and find his family and find out why everything had happened to him. Right. The second movie is Grindelwald setting up this extra pain for him with the death of the caretaker that he finally meets, thinks he's close to finding his family. Right. Gives him a clue to the tomb, thinks he's Corvus, finds out he's not Corvus, perfectly sets it up, says, you're a Dumbledore. Oh, and by the way, your brother is trying to kill you. Okay, Your so, brother has done all of this to you. So like you, Kevin, who's heard this already, I fully buy it. Yeah. It sounds fully plausible. But let yeah. me ask you this. That sounds fully plausible. I'm, I'm in. It sounds really, the way you explain it and with the, the proof of those two otherwise unimportant scenes, mm-hmm. it seems almost given. But that leads me to the thing everybody's saying. If that's true, what an F you this ending is. What an F you this whole movie is in a lot of ways. That's why there are three more movies. And that's the thing, though, right? So, but yes... But then doesn't that mean by that point, like, you watch Fantastic Beast 1, that's a pretty fun self-enclosed movie. But is 2 worth watching again, knowing all this? Is there fun in it? Is there, Or is it just, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's a means to I an end. what you're saying. Yeah. And it depends on what direction they go with in the next movies. Um, I mean, it could turn out that Credence is actually someone important that no one thought of, right? Right. Or it could turn out that Credence winds up meeting Dumbledore, fighting him, and then recognizing that Dumbledore is not indeed behind this, finds out he's not a Dumbledore, that he's been lied to this entire time by Grindelwald. Right. And he could be the way that the blood pact is destroyed, for all we know. Right, Or he could be turned against him. And that would be a very interesting direction, because it gives credence the most interesting story arc in the Harry Potter universe I've ever seen. Someone who came from nothing, 
was tortured throughout their childhood, became the Stark Obscurius, was further tortured and lied to and manipulated by this man, sought to get his revenge, found out that he had just been lied to, and then actually turns to the good side and fights for a good cause. I mean, I definitely think he probably will be redeemed by and the end, just that the way would, they're setting that it That would turn this into not an FU moment, right? Well, here's why it's an I mean, FU there, moment. There are, there are a ton it, of it, ways Right, there's a lot that can still be done. And you're right. So, so here's the concept, right? that I think J.K. Rowling might be thinking if I start to just think a couple steps forward. When movie three comes out and reveals this was all a ruse or even four or whatever, by that point, people are going to be absorbed with the next movie and the next movie and mm-hmm. thinking about those. They're not going to be like, wow, she lied to us. Yeah, back it's then. just going to be a side point. Right, exactly. It's possible. It's possible. But the problem is it was this 45-minute reveal. And if it's a reveal that's not a reveal, that sucks. That's, that's what people are yeah. saying. That's what people are saying. So they a reveal have to handle that's not it very reveal. carefully, right? Exactly, um, and so that's that's the that's the tricky part of it. And I think it's okay because honestly, I'm fine with movies taking a new direction like that, right? Yeah. Um, I'm fine with going on a roller coaster. I'm fine I don't with, yeah. need this to be some document that exists of perfect. This goes back to your earlier point of perfect continuity. That's not as important to me as going and watching five movies in the theater and having an amazing adventure. Well, also, real life isn't nice and perfect and tied up like that. Real life is left with, you know, big F.U. moments and, and hang-ups and stuff. Yeah. And part of the Harry Potter series is with that. I think when Harry... When, when Dumbledore died, that was a big F.U. moment. He was supposed to be the big... You know, this big final battle between Dumbledore and Voldemort. And then even when Harry just let himself get killed rather than having the big duel, but then J.K. Rowling turned around and said, oh, by the way, he survived, and now the big fight's going down. Right, right. No, again, it's, it's just what I said earlier, and, yeah. you, and you guys get where I'm coming from, but at the same yeah. time, it, you're right, it's going to be important how they handle the rest of the yeah. movie. Also, we're comic readers, so we get FUs all the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. like, we just like, yeah. start to sensitize to that. But, so yeah. that's, that's the theory in a nutshell. And there's, it's pretty likely. There's also, I mean, at, at some version, I think it's going to be some form of that yeah I probably got some you also brought up a good point earlier one because when i was talking about with a few friends on twitter one of them said okay one thing doesn't make sense is that if the blood pact is in existence then that doesn't make line up with because in the past dumbledore avonforth his brother and um and grindelwald had a fight um after the death of ariana his dumbledore's sister and they were like how does that line up if there's a blood pack? He brought up a good, good point because it, was a, it wasn't a one-way duel between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. It was Abenforth and Grindelwald fight. Dumbledore steps in. And under that, it still fits with the blood pack because he could be almost coming. He's trying to break up both of them. So he comes up almost to the defense of Grindelwald. Like, I don't think he was intending to kill. I think he was intending to disarm. Right, because right. as long as Aberforth and Grindelwald were fighting each other, they're both liable to die. So he had to get involved in that fight. Uh, it doesn't say that he was trying to kill Grindelwald. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. And, and so, from his perspective, he was trying to help him, so that's in the Yeah. So it's that. said explicitly in the ending that it's the brother of Dumbledore. It's not, you're just a Dumbledore. Yeah, he's right? his brother. Otherwise, I, I would be willing, if it just said he's your family, yeah. I would have been like, oh yeah, he's like his cousin or something. Well, also, you know, he could be, <laughs> yeah. he could be uh, Aberforth or the other ones well, like had an affair. Aberforth. No, 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 I know that. Oh. had an affair and had him. That could have right, happened. Right, there, there are all sorts of alternate stories, but even... But they no, say even brother. Even then, his, his mother was dead before Credence was born. There was no way that he could actually be her son. 
There's, there's literally no. no I'm way. not saying yeah. brother. If it hadn't, I'm saying if it hadn't been brother, oh. it could have been Aberforth's right, right, kid. Right, 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 right. Well, Aberforth at that time. Well, yeah. Hold on. How old would Aberforth have been? I mean, dudes can have kids till they're eighty, but yeah. Alvis was born in 1881. Credence was born 20 years later. I forget if Aberforth. Was I don't think you pull that off your uh, top of your head. <laughs> uh, so. It's plausible that he could be Aberforth's son, but Aberforth never... Notably never. Well, his personality, he looked after his little sister his entire life. He and never he went died. anywhere. Essentially, she was his child. He never went anywhere and never met anyone. Now, but how about his child, his little sister, having a kid? That couldn't have happened? Ariana? She, yeah. was, she was 14 when she died. Okay. Which is it's still technically possible. Very well, different. she never she she was even more reclusive. She was afraid to go out in public. So unless she, she wanted, was an obscurus that was afraid of her powers. So what? Know. So what is what is J.K. Rowling or what are they expecting aside from this elaborate plot that you now think you uh, figured out and are probably right about? What are they thinking the average person is going to think? Just oh, must be well, the brother. My is that it? Because it's so unlikely. My reaction coming out of the movie that was my first thing. I was like, this is not made for casual viewers. It's like not. you're going to be just head scratching. And I mean, your casual as, viewer should take this as entertainment value only. Right. And I mean, as someone who's like very much ingrained in this culture and stuff, I kind of expect that more from prequels than I do from them. Because I mean, Harry Potter has a very, I mean, yes, there's a lot of lore to it, but if you watch just the main line narrative, it's a, you know, it's a hero's journey type quest. The and Harry so, Potter fandom is also extensive enough that I feel like your casual moviegoer that does go see it is going to is more likely to be into the harry potter background right yeah yeah then like just a like then star wars yeah yeah yeah. like imagine a star wars movie this deep into the lore released it'd be great for the the fans but your general audience goer would be like this is way over my head well and a lot of people even criticizing this movie doesn't have the best reviews and a lot of people criticizing oh it's gotten a lot of negative yeah a lot of people criticizing it are like it's so lore heavy unnecessarily you know Intended audience. That, right. That's what it comes down to. And yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing that this movie does in a huge way is it. It and everybody said this, and it's very true. It validates the existence of the franchise mm-hmm. yeah, in a big way, right. in a huge way. And that's and so, why I regret it has the Fantastic Beast name attached to it. Because it just doesn't right, feel relevant. There, yeah. It's, it's really true. But I just think when I when I think about. You know, this movie, I just think, now we actually have questions we're wondering about Fantastic Beasts lore. Mm-hmm. Like, that was not the case before. Nobody right. really gave a shit who yeah. Credence was. Now she's pulled an amazing magic trick, hint, hint, right? Yeah. Um, of making us give a shit about who somebody's real identity is. Wow, that's pretty impressive if you think mm-hmm. about it. Because now I actually really want to see that next movie with the intention of learning a secret. As opposed to just watching a Harry Potter spinoff. So if she does retcon it and he actually is Dumbledore's brother, then I'm going to be done with this franchise. You won't be done with it, but you'll be No, I'm going to be done with it. Because that's that's beyond... No, that's just not okay. So you're either right or you're done? I'm right or I'm done. That's great! That's great! Talk about expectations going into the next movie. I'm contradicting myself. Well, you can't help it sometimes. This is is a sequel situation. This is an important, like, is she going to just... A, uh, there was Disney another brother you didn't know. Star Wars and saying all the extended universe doesn't exist anymore. That's what she, that's the level of what she'd be doing. She'd be saying, eh, Pottermore didn't matter. All everything I've set up so, till this so point how is <clears throat> to the average person? Sorry, I need a drink. What's that? 
doesn't she expect everybody to be like WTF? Yep. And like that's not possible. Don't they know for a fact it's not possible? Your so casual what is she movie thinking? goer doesn't. But your Potterhead will uh, come to the conclusion that either the, the conclusion I've come into that either Grindelwald's <coughs> lying, excuse me, or she's just decided to give a giant middle finger to her fan base. I like to assume that writers are competent. <laughs> well, she's proven herself to be. Yeah, until proven otherwise. So that's why I'm saying if this is not at least somewhat correct. Then I'm done. <laughs> but that's because I have high confidence that he's not a brother. I don't know why. Why didn't she? Why didn't he just say he's a Dumbledore? Why didn't they leave it more open so that I think that would have been more effective too. But yeah, so that people wouldn't immediately know it wasn't possible. Oh, it would have been boring for me anyway. I wouldn't have gotten to come up with a really clever yeah, analysis I... of the movie. And from a writing perspective, it makes things a little more dramatic. Think brother showdown, mm-hmm. brother v brother, <clears throat> rather right. than here's your long lost cousin that you never knew about. He wants to kill you. Fight him. Right. And like I said, it's just that reaction because even people who hated it were immediately coming up with theories, were immediately speculating, and it had that mouth drop in the audience and like. Yeah. And so it was. I mean, yeah, I agree that it. I mean, it was the smarter way to go, but. Um, Maybe but, we'll see. Yeah. That's the whole thing is we can't really judge this plot line until the entire series is concluded fairly. Sure. Because there could always be something around the corner. Like it's it's a, it's five movies that have been. It's, it would be like stopping off at Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and then trying to judge the entire series as a whole, right? You get, yeah. Or just yeah. judging <clears throat> one book alone or one movie alone. It's not fair to the entire. Saga because it was intended to be interpreted together. Well, I mean, at least in Harry Potter. Well, yeah, but she she wrote those books, you know, consecutively, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, at one point, one thing. I mean, I don't know. When she was writing them, she didn't know it was going to happen necessarily, did she? Or? Probably. I think I heard that she um, spent. Sorry, this terrible tickle in my throat. I think she said that she she conceived like. The whole arc on a bus or something like that, or on yeah, a train. Yeah, she had written down the entire idea. Like she knew from the beginning that Harry was going to be a hor, or at least like part of Voldemort's soul was in Harry. I don't know if she had the Horcruxes fleshed out, but she said that. You accidentally just said Harry Potter was going to be a whore. Um, <laughs> then you stopped. Short. That was going to be a horcrux. A horcrux. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I mean, we could argue that he is a man whore. Um, Based off the events of the Half Blood Prince and Order of the Phoenix, but hey, by the way, how is Half Blood Prince? I mean, Order of the no, no, the new thing. What's the new one? The Cursed Cursed Child. Yeah, how is that? You've read it, I'm sure. Terrible story, but I've heard it's a good play. In fact, I'm seeing it two weeks from now. Really? Where is it? Uh, In New York. In New York. Yeah. Oh, you're going to New York? Yeah, I work there. Well, my main office is there, so I travel there every now and then. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, that's awesome. I might be moving there. But okay. Basically, yeah, I want to go see it, and I've heard it's a great musical production. It's very entertaining. Yeah. But the story is god awful. I've read the screenplay. Yeah. It has time travel. Really? That tells you, and not a good usage of time travel, like messy, dirty, convoluted. Huh. Yeah. That's and they and she said that's not <clears throat> canon. Too. It, oh yeah, she yeah. didn't write that. Well, she does have a story credit on it, but Jack the one she wrote signed the off on it. Jack Thorne wrote the script, and they have, but yeah, so that it is not canon. It's not canon. It's set in the future. It's about their kids. It's a yeah, potential it's like, future. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird. I never weird. had an interest to read it. I didn't yeah, either, yeah, but yeah. is it is it so it's a terrible story. Is it interesting seeing adult Harry at all? Um, if he actually had an interesting character, yeah. Okay. He's very dynamic. He just plays a father that doesn't know how to be a good father and that never really changes. So not like he, Ron and Hermione, static, yeah, but... he, Ron and Hermione are static and barely used in an appropriate manner. Wow. Yeah. That's unfortunate. That's that's really unfortunate. Well, anyway, um, that's less successful. Overall thoughts. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, like I said, <laughs> I had a really good time with it, um, and it is even though it is kind of a mess to unravel, and there is a big fu at the end. It was a really fun one to discuss and like <laughs> yes. unpack the theories and yes. like, and it makes me very excited to see the next one. So I mean, I enjoyed it uh, especially a lot. I mean, I talked to a lot of friends who are just big fans who did not enjoy it, and then a lot of critical reviews were negative. But yeah, I I still really like it, and I would definitely see it again, and well, I want to see the next one. I would say <clears throat> that. Uh... I am like I like about half of the characters a whole lot. By the way, I didn't love Jacob in this one as much as the first one. I liked him way better. He could have as much. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had. I guess he had a little more relevance in the story, but he didn't have as, nearly as much screen time and yeah. as much to do. Yeah. Um, Queenie, I don't like in either really. <laughs> it's fair. Tina, I really like, and I think they yeah. really nailed like a good love interest for for Newt. Um, that reunion with the salamander eyes. It was great. It's my favorite scene in the whole movie. It was great. It was really <laughs> she great. She completed the sentence before she knew. It was great. Yeah. It was really, really yeah, I forgot about that. That is brilliant. Yeah. That is emo. It was as like hell. like <laughs> salamander eyes. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. No, okay. and he's like, <laughs> it's something good. that is not usually seen in any species but salamander. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, so yeah, pretty. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was a great, yeah, that, that was, was really great. I agree, that is one of the better scenes. I like. I love their relationship. I love her as an actress. I like that she's like not traditionally gorgeous, mm-hmm. but she's like so cute and pretty and just and She's charming. very strong and unabashed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a great, great lead. Uh, female lead. Yeah. Um, and um, I also really love Johnny Depp in it. I thought Eddie Redmayne is continually good. Oh, what was young Eddie Redmayne? What'd they do? I don't know who. Was he that was. an actor? Yeah, it was an actor. He was good. He was, yeah, yeah. They, he, and it, 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 I'm glad you said that because it was like you, it was look, very understated. You could, you could very yeah. look twice and be like, "Is that him?" Or, yeah, I, I but, actually yeah. thought they were doing maybe a CG, Lita. right? Some CG and making looking. Yeah, young Lita was good too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, Eddie Redmayne Young is like we've seen him so yeah. much on the screen mm-hmm. that it's like I've seen every mannerism the guy's got. So this kid better nail it, and the kid nailed it. Okay. It was really good. Jude Law, I was concerned about him being cast as Dumbledore, but he nailed. He's great. One thing I said earlier was that, because one of the biggest faults of the Star Wars prequels is, as much as I love Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, they make it look like Obi-Wan popped out of the womb and is already this wise Alec Guinness figure. There's no distinction with the character as he, in the prequels as then from the original trilogy. What I liked about this one, and it was somewhat of a complaint from people, they were like, well, he's so different from the uh, Dumbledore we know. I'm like, yeah, he should be, because this is like 70 years before. Like, I liked that he was a different one, that he was a little more cocky, <laughs> that he had trepidations about proceeding forward because of his history with Grindelwald. All of these things and mannerisms that Jude Law brought his own sensibilities to the character, I love that. Yeah. Well, it's he, definitely different. He yeah. acted like the familiar Dumbledore, but in a... A younger, you know, more less wise way. Right. Like he was still wise. Don't get me wrong, but he did make mistakes. And 
we're going to see that next in future movies too like especially when he's going up against Grindelwald we're going to see I think true tension within him that we haven't really seen before that's going to be cool um but yeah, I I really think that <clears throat> it was it's literally like about half of the movie I really liked and half of it I didn't really like. But I think okay. that that makes it what you told me makes it way more interesting. It makes it a lot more interesting and it gives usefulness to a lot of things people are complaining. Like Lita was just randomly introduced and then killed off without really like that whole convoluted family you know storyline. People were complaining about like because it was part of it. Actually, that's <laughs> a good point. It is a little less of an fu. If the whole point of the whole thing is this is a charade, look how brilliant Grindelwald is, it, it, and you, this is the exemplar. Like yeah. we are, this is the exemplar of how brilliant he is. He's a You're watching his ruse at, throughout the film, yeah. so that's what the film is. It doesn't. It no longer exists as an interesting reveal twist at the end. Instead, it gets a new meaning as look at this amazing stage show he puts on. Go, That's possible. Go watch it again, and every and anyone should go watch it again. Honestly, with that lens, yeah, not with the lens of my theory, but with the lens of, okay, let's take into let, let's look at what Grindelwald wants and where we end up and how he achieves that end. It makes almost every scene slot in somehow, even if parts of what you're interpreting are wrong. It still makes sense, and things feel necessary that weren't before, such as Queenie's, you know, whole thing. Although that's still like you could take her or leave her, he's so. I mean, brilliant. she could have if she weren't there, then she could have been left out the entire movie. Right. She right. didn't serve a purpose, right? Right. So they had to find a way to make her valuable. So uh, her telepath abilities. It's almost can't... like how Thanos is the protagonist of Infinity War. Yeah. When you view it through that lens, it makes it even more. Well, I definitely think he's yeah. the best part of this movie, Johnny yeah. Depp. I think there's no question about that. I think his acting is is on a level. I still above. think there could have been a better casting decision for Grindelwald, just because. Really. Even with Johnny Depp's... Uh, Bring up your suggestion so if, if, you, granted, if you were still... Who, who did I suggest earlier? If you were still alive. If you were still alive? Night's Tale. Yeah. Oh, Heath Ledger. I mean, it's such a... It's such a so, but he brought if. up a good point. Why, So though, the reason because... why is Grindelwald is not Voldemort. Grindelwald and Voldemort are actually almost complete opposites of each other, except for how they achieved their end. Grindelwald was very savvy, charismatic, charming. I mean, he even got Dumbledore to agree with him for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's good at getting people over to time. You'll, you'll know they said he was silver-tongued. He's got this huge following. Think about the manipulation at the end where he goaded one of his followers into trying to attack one of the R's, so one of the R's killed her preemptively. And he said, look, we're not the violent ones. Right. Right? Go forth and spread my message. Like, yes, Johnny Depp did a great service to that, but imagine... Imagine who? Imagine a a, a Joker-level performance by Heath Ledger. Heath Le- not, not the Joker Heath Ledger, but like a Knight's Tale Heath Ledger. You know, very... Johnny Depp is not conventionally handsome, right? Nor would I say he's someone that is charming. He doesn't look charming. See, I disagree with the second part of that. I think the not conventionally handsome I'll give you. I think he's tremendously charming, and I think that Jack Sparrow is incredibly charming. I'm not saying he did bad. I think... No, but what I'm saying, though, is that like if you wanted to pick an actor who's very charming, I think Johnny Depp is considered very charming. Like I give you that he's yeah. not handsome, and I give you that Heath Ledger could could better exemplify the kind of face that people would 
Like the... But also the way Grindelwald is described in the books. Okay, that now this you may have something I don't know. That, he, he like, so John, look how Johnny Depp was portrayed with, like, the stark white hair and then the pale, very, very pale skin and then the uh, bichromatia in okay. the eyes. Okay, yeah. That's not canon. <laughs> I, okay. don't, I don't know why they went with the... Yeah, it I wasn't needed either. Yeah. I don't need a fucking Maybe gimmick, Maybe the know? different eye color thing that may have been mentioned, I, I don't know about that, but at least the pale skin and the, the hair... The way that Grindelwald was like portrayed the other times in the movies and the book is that he was this traditionally handsome, attractive man. Mm. Okay. Um, and even in like the the and and I don't know he, he he's but portrayed do, do very. You, you do remember that Johnny Depp as a younger man was like crybaby and like he was in all these movies where he was like a oh yeah hard, but hard now throb. he's I know he's not that now. Yeah. Um, and okay. I think that the uh, we're going to see there there wasn't any chemistry between Johnny Depp and Jude Law because they had no interaction. Right. Show him <laughs> right. Show him this picture of Grindelwald and Dumbledore younger. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's this from is, uh, Yeah, from this is official canon. Wait, what? Yeah, very different. No, 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 no. There's Pottermore pictures. Yeah. Wait, wait. So well, somebody. Painting. There's a picture of Albus and Grindelwald in the movies, standing side by side in the uh, the Deathly Hallows. When uh, is Rita... that it? Yeah, that one, that there. Yeah, that's from the movie. That's not from Pottermore. No, that's official canon from the movie. Okay, because I was thinking that like on Pottermore, she's like hiring photographers and hiring no, actors no, but, to pose I mean, pictures. Yeah. It is used on Pottermore, but it does come from. I remember the scene now. It's um when they're looking at the article that Rita wrote tearing apart Dumbledore. Right, right. Okay. And she's like, he had a, a friendship with Grindelwald and they like showed the picture as right. proof. Right. Interesting. Um, Man, so, there's so much more to this. You've he, opened my eyes yeah. to a whole lot. And if you I knew this that, would be a good one. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not going to use the movie as, but in book canon, yeah, I just think that, that Johnny Depp, he, he pulled a magnificent role. It was a wonderful performance. I just think a younger, more a traditionally younger, attractive actor would have been better. Someone along Jude Law, because that, that, that's like they're equals, right? They're the best of their time. They should think about it. Jude Law looks like what in his mid forties, which is how old Dumbledore is forty six in this movie. Grindelwald would be about forty eight, around the same age. Johnny Depp looks like he's in his late fifties, maybe early sixties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it just does, it, that that didn't yeah, match up for me, and I was yeah. like. It doesn't quite match for me. Okay. I mean, uh, I, I'll give you that. You sure none of this comes from not kind of digging Johnny Depp in general? Oh, I nowadays? love Johnny Depp. Oh, okay. So you're not, like, holding against... Oh, okay. No. I just... I, I think he was not the best. Decision. Interesting. Okay. That gives it even more credibility. All right. Cool. I'll take it. Um, but, man, e even still, I think he was one of the best things about this movie. He really was good. Yeah, his performance was really good. Yeah, he But can... I think that's because the character was also written really... Okay. Yeah, partially. Like, he... It was almost written for his performance... If you, if you know what I mean. So you're saying uh, as a secondary Like being concept. very grandiose. Like he could, at points he was able to be his flamboyant self that he likes to be sometimes, mm -hmm. but in a very conserved and restricted manner that fit with the character. Sounds to me like you're describing a bravura performance, my friend. It was. It sounds like you're doing to me. I have no critique yeah. for the performance. Yeah. I just would have preferred to see someone else. Okay. Roger that. Cool. <laughs> um, but overall the movie? Yeah. Ten, I mean. Or, well, not 10 out of 10, but 9 out of 10. Wow. Wow, that's 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 strong. 
again, it'll become a six out of ten if you're not right. <laughs> if I'm not, if I'm not right, it's a one out of ten. Okay. All right. Cool. Hey, man, I'm all about it, dude. All or yeah. nothing. I'm yeah. in. Well, on that note, what a what a this was man, awesome. One. You yeah. you opened my eyes, Jacob, to a lot. So thank you for coming on and 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 laying your knowledge on us about Harry Potter, man. Thank wow. you for having me on. Oh, that anytime. Great, I knew that this would be a fun one. That was yeah. great. Well, anyway, uh, on that note, where can they find us, Kevin? Uh, you can find us at thejoyofgeek.net for all of our content. And then for just the Joy of Geek podcast, we are on Simplecast now. So you can find us there if you want to find us separate from Joy of Gaming. Um, but all of us and Joy of Gaming are also on the same um, thread on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at KW, at KWShafe. Uh, you can find me at Rich Lapore. Where can they find you, Jacob? Are you online? You're not on social media. I'm not on the social media. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Isn't that funny? You got a freaking Pixel phone and you're not on social media. Yeah. You're, you're, you're pick and choose with your with your, with your your tech. This I get to choose what data is exposed. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, so there's nowhere to find Jacob except maybe on the podcast again soon, hopefully. So, <laughs> or right. with me at any other movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're hanging out at the Alamo, it just yeah. might happen. Um, right. So anyway, on that note, um, I'm Rich Lepore. Kevin Schaefer. And we will see you all soon. Take care.